This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Happy Friday, folks. Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Great to have you with us. Andrew Patterson with you along with Michael Remus. Lots to digest today after the final media appearances of Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice today, as well as general manager Kevin Dayoff. Remo has been on it for the last couple hours. We'll have a number of highlights from both the coach and the general managers. Press availabilities discussing the season that has just finished up for the Winnipeg Jets. And Scott Billick will join us a little bit later on today. As always, we're brought to you by our family of sponsors, Royal Sports, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, PolicyMe.com, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Breezy Bend Country Club, Boston Pizza, Aikens Lake, Assiniboia Downs, and CoolBet.com. Um, lots to get to today. Uh, Euro is beginning. We've got Turkey and Italy going this afternoon. But of course, here in Winnipeg, everyone focused in on the end of the Winnipeg Jets season. It's been a couple days since we've heard the players. Today, it was time for the coach and the general manager. And Remo, it was um, it was very interesting. I mean, I just saw the uh, you know what Kevin Sheveldayoff had in the past hour. I will say the uh, the the tone of the Maurice um, the Maurice availability was well in a lot of ways vintage Maurice. Um, you know he uh, he had a number of laughs going on in that. Uh, <laughs> he had a number of laughs going on at times in it, uh, and it seemed like. You know, the tone, the the feeling maybe amongst management had cooled a little bit since, you know, a really disappointing end to the season in that game four against Montreal. Yes, uh, sorry. We we did get on a bit late. Let me uh, slide in. They missed uh, the first intro, but we're here. We're live. I didn't hit go live. I hit there. I had, there's like three different go live buttons I have to hit. And uh, I think I didn't hit the third one. So uh, what's going on, everyone? We are officially uh, live, though, right? Like we we're are, good to go. We, Everybody's here. We're seeing Cynthia and Bus Split. Paula Dett's here. Yeah. Um, they didn't said mi- that there they was didn't a miss super any- mute. <laughs> yeah, they didn't miss anything. You guys just missed the intro to the show. It's fine. Everything's good. Uh, yeah, we missed the the uh, press conference. So uh, it was, you know, it was what we were waiting for. I don't think we learned too much. I mean. We're going to get to all the clips down the list. Uh, I think it was a bit of a... Maurice one felt like more of an interrogation, a little. And uh, the Chevy one was kind of like big picture. What are you going to do to improve? I think, you know, we can take a look. And the, on the whole, the Jets had a successful season. I think we can get that. They made the playoffs. You know, we thought they were going to. They advanced. They beat the Oilers. They got to the second round and lost. I mean, a lot of good teams lost in the second round as well. I think the Jets are behind some of those teams like Colorado who lost yesterday. But uh, I think the fashion that it happened and the uh, reminders of uh, previous playoff failures, um, the, those, you know, the games against Montreal maybe left you feeling like, um, left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I think you look at the defense and you can see that there's areas for improvement. And that was talked about as well. Yeah, no, no, it certainly was today. And, and I, I'm the same way. I mean, I think with every day, that goes past you sort of get over it a little bit more but even even right now i mean on friday heading into the weekend and i know that ended up on monday i think a lot of people are still sort of just trying to figure out what the heck happened in that series but you are right and i said this earlier this week on the show if you had told me without knowing what had happened that this winnipeg jets team made the playoffs beat the oilers in the first round never mind sweeping them 
and bowed out in the second round, I think most Jet fans would have said, yeah, you know what? That is a pretty successful season considering you know what the expectations were going in. It's just that those expectations change quickly when you're battling for first place midway through the season. And, you know, when you play the way they did and got the result that they did in the first round, obviously, you know, it just made what happened in round two that much more disappointing. But you are right. The more we get removed from the Montreal series and, um, you know, how ugly that was from a Jets perspective, there is a number of positives to take out of uh, everything that we've seen. But to be honest, I mean, the questions about, you know, the team going forward have so much to do with the youth. When are they going to be able to get into the lineup? There were some interesting things with Kevin Shovel-Ladeoff, who you know, basically said flat out that you know the uh, sliding ELC played absolutely yeah. no role in Billy Hanel is playing. So, yeah, I mean, he, uh, he has to, I'm going to stop in. He has to say that. He can't come out and say, you know what? Yeah. He's NHL ready, but um, he's NHL ready. But you know what? We want to keep him for your control because you get in trouble with the union. There was a Mariners executive who did that in the offseason at a luncheon. He got, sorry to interrupt you, he got fired. Um, you know, with their, one of their top prospects where they were manipulating his service time. So he has to give that answer. Yeah, no GM um, will say that. And again, you know what? Yeah. Sometimes the guys have to say things. Sometimes it's a hundred percent true. I mean, we don't know. I, I just, I mean, my opinion was, and I said this a number of times that it seemed like there was an organizational decision that, you know what, if we're this close and in this situation, you know, let's not, you know, just on the last game of the season, you know, blow the contract. But that was contradicted today by the general manager. So we'll hear about that coming up. Listen, before we get to the uh, first part of the program, which will be some of the highlights of Paul Maurice today, I want to tell you about Policy Me, an online life insurance that allows Canadians to buy term life insurance in minutes, 100% online and at the most affordable price. Listen, life insurance is a pain in the ass. It's maybe the least sexiest purchase that you'll ever make, but it's something that you and your family need. If you do have people that depend on you, what would happen if you weren't there to pay the bills, pay the mortgage? These are things that, you know, yeah, unfortunately have to have taken care of. Uh, well, why not do it in the simplest, easiest way at the best rate? Policy Me simplified all the unnecessary bells and whistles in the traditional life insurance or process, resulting in a fully underwritten term that's fast, easy, affordable, and 100% online. On average, Policy Me rates uh, roughly 10 to 10, 10 to 20% lower than other insurers in Canada. And you'll find out if you're approved for coverage instantly instead of waiting weeks like most other companies. And most people don't require a medical exam. And it couldn't be any easier and more straightforward. No awkward meetings. It's all done online. Uh, basically, in about the amount of time it would take you to listen to one of our guest pots on um, Sport Talk Winnipeg, you would be able to get it all done find out the rates and go forward. It's easy. It's all online. It takes around 15 minutes. Go to policyme.com, uh, you know, crank out a few questions. You'll find out whether you even need it to begin with. About a quarter of the people, they say, you know what? In your situation, you probably don't need it, but better safe than sorry. Policyme.com. And when they ask you how you heard about Policy Me, make sure you click on podcast. Uh, big shout out to our friends at Royal Sports. Euro kicks off today. 
And um, Royal's always been the soccer superstore in Winnipeg. And, you know, I know we're going to be hopefully getting outside and playing disc golf. They've got a great bike selection, expanded fitness um, shoes. The shoes selection there maybe the best in the city as well. Um, you can't really go wrong with Royal Sports, but especially if you're a soccer fan and you want to be repping Italy or England or Belgium or Germany, get on down there, get geared up for kickoff, which, of course, begins this afternoon. And we got to thank our friends Nick and Nikki from the Nick and Nikki DQ group, Niverville, DQ Northgate, Polo Park, and St. Anne's. Great sponsors of ours since day one, cranking out the best blizzards around. The Kit Kat Blizzard, by the way, is back. The Drumstick Blizzard is my favorite. The burgers are incredible. And if you've got a, uh, maybe you're having a few people outside and it's been a little while and you want to welcome them in style, why don't you pick up a cake from the Nick and Nikki DQ group? Find out more at DQ Manitoba or hit them up on Insta- on Instagram at DQ Manitoba and you'll be able to uh, get an order in over social media. Big thanks to Nick and Nikki Royal and Policy Me for their support of the program. All right, Remus. Let's get to some of Coach Paul Maurice from earlier today. And um, we'll go through a number of his comments, discuss them, and then Scott Billick will join us a little later on. Um, but a pretty interesting question right off the top. Coach Paul Maurice discussing, um, was asked whether he's on the same page with general manager Kevin Chevaldeoff. Yeah, sorry. Give me one sec. Uh, you know, this press conference went um, went pretty close to start time, and I was feverishly cutting all these so, there was a lot of chopping there was definitely a i lot was of chopping I, I was very busy so hold on we got i gotta do a couple things sorry to halt the show this is uh no problem a little a little peek behind the curtain i don't want to screw everything up but i guess maybe we could have waited like i could have waited but no no let's let's go i'm gonna just tell him how we uh, do things here and i'll just uh, pull this up we got paul all Here's right so coach. what was this one this was yeah, uh, the very first clip that you put together. Call Paul Maurice uh, asked if uh, they're on the same page as a group uh, with the general manager. We have been right from the get go. Like, I, I'll take you back to that first conversation when I came in. He said, "We're going to take a look at the veterans that we have, and then we're going to strip this thing right down, and we're going to play the kids." And that's, I mean, that's exactly what happened when you look at the ice time. Like, we went three or four years. God, being about 24.8 years old, right in the bottom two or three teams in the league in terms of age, we just played the kids and played the kids. Um, and in some ways that keeps happening, right? So it's just a little bit of a different curve. You get your Logan Stanleys now kind of coming in and getting that next opportunity and Veseline and another first round pick. That's just his kind of introduction back into the NHL. So when there's good young players um, that can come in and help, then we want to have them in our lineup. In terms of playing kids two or three years till they get ready, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. We need to have those guys playing in the American League and keep going. So we, we, I don't think we're late on anybody here. I don't think we've ever, I really don't think we've ever slow, slow played a young player. Uh, Logan needed all that time and then some time in the NHL. Now I think we've got a really unusual player, a man that big that can handle the puck a little bit. So, I think we're on the same page with it for sure. Coach Paul Maurice and, and you know what many of the line, the line of questioning from many of the, the media members did revolve around some of those younger players. And, you know, as we'll hear from both the coach and the general manager, there were some unique challenges this year. One of which happened with the Manitoba Moose being on the road for like half the season and away. Um, 
you know, without the team being in the same city, they needed to keep players with that club. And there were NHL rules that mandated it. So um, it, it did create, well, some situations like, you know, as we talked about, a player like Vili Hainel going long periods of time without playing. You know, luckily, as we'll hear, I mean, he did get some time before the season began over in Finland. So still did get about 50 games in. But there were a number of questions about that. And here's another one from Maurice, who uh, you know talked about daily conversations with the general manager throughout this year. This is a daily conversation that's happened every day since I've been here. I mean, we, we talk about where we're at, where we need to go and discuss how we got to get there. As far as the shelf life, I, I would just and, and I understand in my job, um, you're always going to have your critics, and, and that's a beautiful part of pro sports. It's the passion of the game. But I'm really proud of the job I did and this staff did this year under incredibly trying circumstances. Um, like, I'm really proud of it. We did a good job this year. Our, our team played hard, fought through adversity. But a bigger thing that maybe I can't sell, uh, but I'll explain to you that's really important. The room right now, uh, the culture in our room right now is as good as it's been since I've been here. And I think that's priority one for your for your job as a coach. I think we have more players invested in Winnipeg now than we ever had. Truly, uh, the Jets, the community, the long-termness, and this sometimes, fellas, is a challenge, right? We always have the guys that, that love playing in Winnipeg, love playing for the Jets. It's, it's small things, Mark Shifley buying a house. It's all of those kind of connections that we need to have in Winnipeg because maybe we're not like some other major markets that can draw players or not have us on their uh, no trade list. All those things that we compete with. So our draw has to be our room and the culture of our room and the togetherness of these guys. And that I say without qualification, this is as close a group as we've ever had. And the culture of our room right now is as strong as it's ever been. And the coaches are, in fact, a part of that. All right. There's Coach Paul Maurice on uh, on the core. And, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, you know, I, I think most of us are here from Winnipeg or Manitoba. And we know the challenges that, you know, Maurice just alluded to with guys having Winnipeg on their no trade list or people not wanting to come here in free agency. And from an organizational perspective, it is incredibly important to be able to get guys to buy in, commit to the team long term, as well as to the city. And, you know, we've seen with a number of these long-term contracts, you know, and that's one of the things that I think Sheveldayoff has done so well. And part of the reason why I think there's so much confidence in him from upper management and ownership because of what they've been able to do. And let's face it, ownership, I think, has been a big part of that as well. When you get the likes of Connor, Morrissey, Kyle Connor, uh, Connor Hellebuck, Morrissey, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Wheeler, all these guys committing long-term to Winnipeg. And, um, you know, certainly that's a great trend. Um, and you do want to have that culture in a very close, tight-knit group, and you just hope that it'll manifest itself into a better team on the ice. Um, the Jets' core, a big topic going forward. Will there be changes to it? How do you feel that they performed this year? Coach Paul Maurice talked about the uh, core players earlier today as well. Yeah, I, I think the core is very close to being right, and and some of that is just continuing to develop that core. Um, the pieces around the core are probably the place that we'll try to do the most work on it, but we're strong at center. We're strong in goal. Um, we've got some shooters on the wings that, that can do some things. We've got a bit of bite in our lineup, not a tremendous amount, but some, um, 
so I think the core is right. It's very, very hard to get a core that you like. And, you know, Kelly, I look at, I look at the other eight teams and they're probably all going to say the exact same thing. The core is right. And, and your core has to be right to even get to that point. And, and there's going to be six, maybe five or six of the eight that didn't get through the first round that are saying their core is right. It's a hard, hard thing to get a group of guys like we've got together. You pay years of a price to get to that point, uh, but it's there. It's there. And I think it'll, it'll keep getting better. And we're going to like all of these teams, Colorado, you think, you know, mostly that's right there on the doorstep. They're going to look around at kind of that periphery support around their core to get them over the hump. We'll go back to Kelly Moore for a follow-up. Go ahead, Kelly. So, Paul, if memory serves correct, some of the uh, supporting moves you made were specific to this year and the situation yeah. we're going to be in. Will you view that differently now that you're going back to the Central Division? Will that look a little bit different in terms of that supporting cast? Yeah, I, I don't know how much that part changes. The question, first question always will be, what do we have available to us right now um, that can come in and 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 contribute, not not just hold water. What, what do we have in terms of young players that we can get to contribute? And then what are our needs and the holes that we need to fill or the areas that we can upgrade? And then that part's actually easy, Kelly. You, you can you can sort that out very quickly. The question is, what can you do to acquire that? And what is the cost of acquiring? That's the far bigger challenge. How do you make those areas where you know you got to get better? Uh, how do you make those better? So that's the bigger challenge. Many, many of the questions relating to, you know, I don't want to say a transition, but an assumed move into the lineup of some of these younger players that we've been talking about for the last couple of years. Billy Hainel at the top of the list, certainly Dylan Sandberg, who played the entire season with the Moose, David Gustafson, another member of the Manitoba Moose that certainly one would assume will push for a, t- for a spot on that fourth line. But there, as Maurice has said before, those positions... You know, you have those core players, the scoring players at the top. You've got the Adam Lowry unit, which has been, you know, a very, very good checking line that, you know, chipped in quite a bit offensively. And then a fourth line. And Maurice has always said that the fourth line, you know, needs to include penalty killers, guys that can contribute in some level of special teams. And that'll be a big thing for certainly Gus. And, you know, he had some interesting comments on Christian Veseline as well, which we'll talk about as well as here from general manager Kevin Sheveldayoff. But what I was most interested to hear about today, in addition to many of the plans going forward, is you know, after a few days to reflect on what happened, um, to hear the coach talk about the playoffs, both the good and the bad, the four-game sweep of the Edmonton Oilers, and unfortunately, the sweep on the other side that bounced the Jets out of the playoffs. Here's Maurice on the series versus Montreal and Edmonton. You know, I, I, I usually take three or four days and... and you don't have a control of your brain. So you're, you're going back for it, but try not to, to go too deep into it. And then you'll go back and you'll go straight through it, right? Get back and you'll watch those games and you'll go through every step of areas. And normally I don't think about it, but my phone was ringing real early this morning from Pete DeBoer, who's playing Montreal. And we spent a couple hours talking about what his team has just done and, and what he's going to face with Montreal. So but I think more importantly, I'll, I'll go back and start from the very beginning, from the first meeting at training camp to um, all of it straight through. And, and as I've actually done that a bit 
over the last couple of days, I'm, I'm just reminded about how incredibly extreme it all was, right? You start looking at your schedule and you first team in 40 years that ran that road schedule and did pretty well with it. You've got your seven game stretch where you lose how you came out of that. The Edmonton series feeling so strong and, and, and excited about it. You've got the night after the first game against Montreal going, Ooh, hoping that Mark's back in your lineup sooner rather than later, trying to deal with that, hoping that Stas can come back in, how you're going to deal with DeMello's injury. So you start wobbling. And then, and then you're always left with an incredible disappointment, just an incredibly uh, sense of, of uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it to you. you, when, you can, when you put all of your time, your entire life into one thing, and it just disappears on a final buzzer. Um, so you learn to take a few days before you, or you really rehash it, but we'll go through that series very closely. Go back to Sarah Lesky from TSN. Go ahead, Sarah. And sticking with that idea of going back and reevaluating everything, you made a comment in one of your earlier comments today about how perhaps there were some areas in which your group overachieved this season. Can you give us an idea on where you think that may have been? I think being able to shut the one, two down guys in the, in the national hockey league is, is pretty darn impressive. And, and you've got a scratch and claw decor, right? So what we, we weren't running a bunch of Norris guys against them. We were one bunch of guys that had to work and give everything on every shift. The idea of covering ice easily against Connor McDavid has never happened. The cost of that to them mentally that they were able to play to their prime plus in that series. I think that back end, uh, you know, I never, I guess I said overachieved, but I don't really like that a word because humans are capable of an awful lot. I think they reached their capacity of capability in that series and it was awesome to watch. And then of course you're left in the next series and and we struggled. So, but I do think in that series when you, when you can do what, what those guys did, um, and yes, back to an earlier question, Connor Hellebuck is a huge part of that, Mike. I mean, that's that's a big part of, of all of it. Um, but I, I really enjoyed just watching from the bench how that bench matured and, and cheered guys on and just supported and covered over when there was a mistake. That That was a fun series from a coach's point of view. And I think that's where I got to this culture idea. And that also went into my exit meetings. That was the thing that I was left with when the players left is these guys are all in here. And that's, it was almost the first time I left my exit meetings where I didn't have six guys going, well, what about me? How come I, how come I didn't, I want to play more. What what can I get where the meetings were the opposite is, you know, they love playing here. Great bunch of guys love the room, love the game, love the year. One of my most fun years, all of those kind of things, I uh, felt like I played my best hockey. I feel like I'm developing into my best player self. So in that part, I think we we hit it out of the park. All right. There's Paul Maurice uh, talking a little bit about the, the season as well as the, the playoffs. And yeah, listen, I, I understand, um, you know, wanting to get away from it for a, a little bit. And that's, you know, going through that Montreal series for the coaching staff isn't going to be fun. Um, but again, you know, you get a few days away from it all and you know listen they are focusing on a number of the positives and there were a lot of positives and you know sometimes it's difficult to do that in 
you know, coming off of a defeat. It certainly is difficult for fans. <laughs> I'll put my hand up on that one. I'm still sort of rankled as to how the heck that happened and where the team was that we saw beat the Oilers for the Montreal series. But, you know, especially at the end, those things being the Winnipeg Jets, being the, the situation, the market that they are, um, exact, what we just heard from the coach can only be encouraging um, going forward. Now, there was a couple other funny ones. This was maybe my funny, the funniest moment of it. Scott Billick will join us a little later on. Ask the coach uh, one of the more general questions you will ever hear, but essentially it was all about the team's identity. This is how it sounded. So what I want on any team that I've had is I want them to play like a team. So you asked me a very general question, so I understand that that sounds like a cliche, but I want that bench to be together. I want them to fight together. I want them to adhere to a certain style of game that they will all understandably look slightly different in their skill set. But I want that compete and I want that room, number one, to fight for each other. That's the culture part of it. So I like would like to play a very fast game if possible and a very physical game. Those are the two pieces. You look at the playoff hockey and you look at the difference between regular season hockey and playoff hockey and you look at really um, – a version of what the Islanders done has done, but that's extreme too, because the Islanders goaltending numbers, like in that series, they stopped an awful lot of pucks, right? With the exception of the last game in which, I don't know if you guys saw that national anthem, but that was awesome. Like that, that was possibly the greatest thing that we missed was that kind of emotion at home. So you've got a, an older, heavy, hard team that's playoff hockey You've got Tampa coming in and they are really fast, but they're also quite physical with their game. And you've got uh, the, the Vegas Golden Knights are a big, heavy, fast, physical team. And, 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 and Montreal, I think, would be a prime example of a team that's maybe not built like that up front. They certainly are on their back end, but they would have gotten to that team identity that playing that, that one style. So and, um, you know, a little bit more on... Well, part of the team identity, unfortunately, at times over the last few years has been to really let your goalie bail you out. And listen, hey, he's one of the best, if not the best right now. And that's been a huge part of the Winnipeg Jets success. But the coach was asked if, you know, the Winnipeg Jets have um, maybe been relying too much on Connor Hellebuck. Sitting here, let's take the summer off because we got Connor Hellebuck. Um and in all of these great goaltenders, go back, like, like, look at the Pittsburgh's two Stanley Cups, right? And you say, yeah, well, they had these amazing teams. They had Crosby, they had Malkin. Look at the games. Their goaltending, and it was two of them, absolutely stood on their heads, right? But that's the key piece. They've all got great, great goaltending. We, in the last two years, have been thin on our blue line. That's just a fact. And two years prior to that, when we finished... I think fifth in goals against, we were heavily loaded on our back end and we had Connor Pellebuck and we finished fifth in goals against and we had a whole bunch of kids up front. Now it's starting to shift over. Our kids are getting a little older. Part of the cost is that is we lost a bunch of our back end, but we still have Connor Hellebuck. So when those two things come together and we still have Connor Hellebuck, then we will be a team that's going to be competing maybe in the final eight like we were this year. We're a pretty good team. We've got some places that we got to get better at. Making the playoffs, winning the first round cannot possibly be viewed as a negative in Winnipeg. Because then your standard's so skewed, 
you are never coming to the rink happy. Connor Hellbuck's on our team. We drafted him. Whoever drafted him, well done. We developed him. And he does mask a lot of the challenges that we've had, especially in the last two years, for sure. Um, and we're going to try to address that and fix it and move forward in how we play. Our forward group is maturing into a really good forward group. Our back end has to catch up to kind of our goaltending, but not everybody has all the pieces all the time. So we're in that process of building that. That was one of the most interesting um you know, bits we got out of Paul Maurice today. And, and, you know, very straightforward that, you know, Connor Hellebuck has really helped them kind of get through a time where the defense core just hasn't been at the level that it was a few years ago when the team was, you know, challenging, you know, in the, in the conference final. Um, but again, uh, much of this conversation today did come back to, you know, the young players and, you know, Maurice was asked about, and this gets to the taxi squad and some of the challenges of this year with the moose and where where the clubs were with being on the road and at home. Um, but he was asked simply about, you know, some of these young players, um, and I think in particularly Billy Hainala, spending long, long stretches in the press box and not playing. Here's Maurice. Had to have certain players here. Like we had to have a taxi squad. You weren't not allowed. And and on your taxi squad at certain points of time, and because we didn't have a road game in our province, we couldn't bring people in and out. So our taxi squad had to be a little different than other teams. We had to keep some good young players there at every time so that if we lost players, we could actually have enough players to, in the lineup. So we had a different dynamic with that. The message to... Uh, the year-end message to Christian Veselainen was like absolutely fantastic. That the change in him, his body, his work ethic, his play from one year shocked me. And he earns all of it, right? Like he came back a completely different young man. Hark, um, you know, Hark came in and had a good year last year, and he's going to have to fight for a job next year. That that's his lot in life right now. Until he, but he's but he's not taken. Uh, this year, Matty Perot's job, because Matty Perot's working that front on a power play that was running third and fourth in the National Hockey League. Like, I'm not taking that guy out. The other two guys are killing penalties, and Harks hasn't gotten to that point yet. Vili Hainola probably has a better sense in some ways of where he's at than anybody else because he went back home last year to play in Liga instead of playing in the American League because he needed the time to do that, to let his body grow into it. He's got good, young, small defensemen, and he doesn't have to get bigger. I don't think he has to get a whole lot smarter. He just has to get faster. And then he's got to come in and earn a job on the left side, which is the challenge here right now when you've got Stanley and Sandberg and Hainola um, and you've got Morrissey. So there's some, we're stacked there. Vili on his offside would have been a really, really big disservice to him, right? He was it, it would have been a real challenge for him, especially um, first few games of the National Hockey League. So he, he's just got to, you know, he's going to get faster. I don't really need him to get a whole, he's got to get stronger and all that. I'm not asking telling him to get bigger so he can hit. He, he's not going to play a physical game. He's going to play a speed game and a puck movement game. But he's like all good, young, small defensemen. He's going to take a little bit of time before he's pulling it across on the power play and everybody says how great he is. But he's a good player. Like those guys are good players. They're not the tipping point right now for the Winnipeg Jets. That's all. All right, there's Maurice on uh, Hanela and some of the young players. Hey, interesting. Frank comments from the coach. And I mean, you know, there is all, you know, we see first round picks and we imagine what they will be as stars in the National Hockey League. And 
um, you know, patience maybe for fans has never been um, you know, the greatest virtue of them. Um, from the, the club standpoint, they've been more than patient. And, you know, in the case of a guy like Logan Stanley, it seems to have really paid off. I'm certainly hoping that's the same for Billy Hanel. And the coach is pretty clear as to what he thinks Billy needs to do to be an impact player next year and be a regular in the Winnipeg Jet Defense Corps. Uh, here's a little bit more from Maurice on some of the young players in the organization. So I want I want to separate like the two Billy on the blue line and the question more of um, Thompson Lewis ahead of I'm gathering Harkins and Veselina. Is is that where we are with that overtime? You, you've muted yourself now. Now we're on to something. Uh, that was Gregor. He doesn't like my my mutterings. <laughs> oh no, you're you're good. Is that is that kind of part of the question? Exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. You might throw Gustafson's name into that mix, but the exact right concept. That's what so I'm I've got all those, all three of those guys have a ways to go before I'm putting either of them to kill penalties against the Edmonton Oilers power play, which was number one in the league, or taking Matty Pro's uh, job on the power play. They're not even close to that. One or two of them may get a chance to do that over time. I do think you know, Veselainen may have shown us that he could actually at some point come into our lineup in a three-hole with Lowry. That's a possibility because of his his acumen on the ice. But none of those young players are, are close in terms of effectiveness in, in the game than those three veteran players. Not even close. And they might get there, and that's what the American League is going to do. And we might be able to say, okay, we've got the two right guys that we're going to bring in to play with one of these young guys, and they'll take off. Or they'll get a little better, and, and you'll put two young, younger guys in. But our, our fourth line this year truly had a big impact on all of the things that I am positive about our group. I don't know that they're coming back. That'll all be up to they're all UFAs. I get that. But having three kids on your fourth line playing eight minutes a night makes no sense to me unless you can take one of them and play them up in the top six at some point if somebody gets injured, if they're that point. They need to play and play big minutes. All right, so this coach talking about some of the younger players. And and listen, some of that stuff is probably not what many fans want to hear. Um, at times, you know, I've – hey, listen – we hear so much from Coach Paul Maurice, and he is the master. Um, like there's nobody that communicates better that can sort of, you know, position is in his line of thinking. And, and listen, the guy's got so much ex- experience, and he has garnered a whole bunch of respect. People will disagree with maybe some of the things that he said, but that is the way that he obviously feels, and that's the way that he's coached. And, you know, that's the job that he has been given by the Winnipeg Jets. And I don't think anyone, myself included, is ever going to agree all the time. At the end, it's about the results. And, you know, we'll see how this works going forward as to, you know, are these young players ready to to move into the lineup? Are they ready to contribute? How much they benefited from this year? And at the end of the day, whether they're ready to take somebody else's job. And in the coach's mind, that was not the case this year. We'll see whether that will be the case going forward. Now, we do have some more from the coach, but I do want to get to a little bit of Kevin Sheveldayoff before we bring Scott Billick in to sort of get his thoughts on everything we've heard today and talk a little bit more about going into the offseason. And speaking of the offseason, not surprising, the priorities for the general manager going into the offseason was one of the first things that Kevin Sheveldayoff was asked about today. Like any offseason, uh, obviously, you take some time to... Uh, decompress a little bit, evaluate, reevaluate, uh, you know, go over um, 
just the past season uh, dissected a little bit. So certainly we'll take some time uh, and do that. You know, that obviously that process has, uh, you know, has begun. Um, you know, and then, you know, as a manager, there's certain, you know, summer functions that do come into play here. We're getting ready for the, the draft. We're getting ready for um, the expansion draft and then obviously getting ready for, you know, free agency. So there's, there's lots of work uh, behind the scenes in, in those regards. Um, but, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's evaluating, um, you know, where things are at and, and uh, what you have in your, uh, I guess, uh, uh, stable of, uh, of players uh, moving forward and, and what directions that, uh, you know, you, and actions that you need to take um, for, you know, the future. They off on uh, on the off season. I mean, I don't think anyone was expecting definitive statements on what they're going to do. Not really the style, but pretty clear where the organization feels that they need to make some improvements um, to get to where they want to be. Now, uh, uh, listen, at the end, there's evaluation of the players and there's certainly evaluation of the coaching staff as well. And Kevin Sheveldayoff was asked about um, how he thought the coaching staff handled this season and the job that Paul Maurice and his assistants did. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, again, it's um, first and foremost, you have to look at, I guess, how uh, how prepared we were coming into the season. I think you'd have to look back and see, you know, what uh, what the coaching staff did to, you know, get a game plan to uh, to um, approach this unprecedented time. Um, you know, we, we, we obviously are in the, in the world of COVID. I think that, you know, as a team, we had uh, I think it was 160 some straight days where, you know, we, we had a, a swab, you know, shoved up our nose to, you know, make sure that we were COVID, you know, tested and COVID, uh, you know, COVID free. Um, you know, those are the psychological things that the coaches, I think, you know, have to have a game plan for. And for that, I, I, I think they were exemplary and I think they were outstanding. Um, so then, you you know, you look at, you know, the, the body of work, I think that, um you know, the, uh, the year itself, the games, I think I touched on it a little bit, finding a way um, to not go back to back losses for such a long period of time. I think that really gave us a, a real chance to, to stay in that fight and, and, and end up, um, you know, being that, that team that could have finished anywhere from, from second to fourth. You know, we, we, we touched on first for a little while there, but, you know, again, realistically, uh, you know, it's, it's, it could have finished, uh, you know, anywhere in that regard. Um, so I thought, you know, again, the body of work during the season, you, you know, you look at our goals for, you look at our goals against, you know, our goals for slightly up, you know, from the year prior, our goals against are slightly down, um, you know, from the year prior, you look at the power play, the penalty kill power play, you know, ran in the top, top third, you know, for, for, for most of the year, I think we finished, you know, seventh or sixth or seventh or something like that. Um, you look at the penalty kill, which I think was a point that we talked about last year, you know, in this year end kind of conference, uh, uh, video conference or whatever it was, um, you know, our, our penalty kill improved, you know, year over year. So, you know, you, you, when you start to dissect all those things, you know, then, you know, the, the, there's certainly uh, areas that uh, that we didn't, you know, did improve. Um, obviously, the game plan that uh, that went into, uh, you know, to, to beating Edmonton was something that, um, you know, again, players definitely need to take credit in, in buying into how they played and, and coaches, you know, have a great opportunity to, to take credit for, you know, devising a plan that, that everyone bought into. Now, when you're not sitting here with the silver trophy beside you, everyone is, is, is certainly um, critical in the end and, and probably no, no, no people more critical than, than the coaches themselves. And, and um, I, I know that they're going to soul search to, 
to see how they're going to continue to get better as a group. Um, but but overall, you know, I, I thought they represented the, the Winnipeg Jets and gave them the best opportunity uh, that we had to to try and win. So I thought they did a good job. All right, there's Cheryl Dow from the coaching staff. And I mean, listen, uh, you know, he um, I mean, I'm not I don't think anyone's expecting him to say, um, well, you know, uh, some of the season was good, but uh, man, that was ugly the way it finished. Or, you know, the last month of the season was pretty stressful for all of us. I mean, you know, they focused on it. I think Cheryl Dayoff does a pretty good job of laying out the case of what the team did positively this year. I mean, just sometimes it's tough to hear all those things when you come out of a series that ended the way it did against the Montreal Canadiens. But it's true. Um, you know, they did do a lot of things well. And many of the things that you attribute to coaching, like special teams, um, you know, were quite good this year. But from a general manager's perspective, you know, there's very few things that can make or break um, your tenure, your job, um, the way you're viewed by the public, and a massive blockbuster trade is one of those things. And listen, the swing that Kevin Sheveldayoff took with the Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois trade is a deal we will be talking about on this show and at bar tops in this city for years, decades probably in Winnipeg, as to what it meant. And, you know, listen, it did not go well for Pierre-Luc Dubois here in Winnipeg overall, um, and it was pretty much the same thing for Patrick Laine in Columbus, unfortunately. And um, Sheveldayoff was asked about uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, the season he had, and uh, his outlook for the young player going forward as a Winnipeg Jet. So, uh, you know, again, um, I had an opportunity to sit down with Pierre-Luc here in the exit meetings, probably really the first chance that I've had to, um, you know, to sit down with him that I was, I guess, really allowed to sit down with him as a, you know, in, in the, in the, within the rules of COVID and, 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 um, and stuff like that. So we had a, you know, a good opportunity to talk about the year, talk about his year. And, and, uh, you know, certainly I think it was, it was a challenging one for him. I think, you know, he'll be the first to tell you that, um, you know, he can be better and will be better. And, and, uh, and I firmly believe that, you know, uh, having him here from the start of training camp next year, um, will, 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 will produce a different result. And, um, you know, he's, he's a talented young player that went through a really, you know, tough time and a tough year. And, and I think if, you know, if you look at back at, at players' careers, they're going to have up years and down years. Uh, and uh, for him, I think this is going to be a learning moment and, and um, will we'll help him become a, a better uh, a better you know, uh, player and, and uh, person and, and uh, professional. Like when you struggle at different points in time, I think it, it helps you to... Um, you know, reassess and reevaluate and then reassert yourself. So I've got nothing but, you know, full confidence that, uh, that that's how it's going to uh, play out for, for Pierre-Luc. High hopes for Pierre-Luc Dubois going into next season for the Winnipeg Jets. And listen, that is going to be one of the most important things for the club. I mean, you do wonder how things might be different if he had performed differently, especially in that series against Montreal when Mark Scheifele um, was unavailable due to suspension for games two, three, and four. Um, but you know, it, it didn't go in, but it certainly wasn't just Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, I think the forward group, um, as a whole looked pretty discombobulated after Shifley left with all the new combinations and just, it never got going against a Montreal team that was absolutely relentless on them. Now the Shifley suspension has been a huge topic, not just here in Winnipeg, but around the national hockey league. And maybe the most interesting and unexpected side story to the entire Stanley Cup playoffs has been the heel turn Mark Scheifele's taken in markets outside of Winnipeg. Um, it's obvious that this organization supports their star number one center 100%. And Kevin Shevoldayev was asked about it. And you kind of get into the detail of how closely they looked at this 
trying to uh, stand up for their center and support Mark Shifley. Here's Shevel Dayoff on the entire incident and suspension. Well, certainly first and foremost, uh, I, you know, I think I want to say I'm, I'm, um, I'm grateful that, uh, um, you know, uh, Jake is, is starting to skate again and, and, you know, is recovering. And we were very, very, um, I don't know what the right word is, uh, thankful, I guess, that, you know, we had heard right after uh, the game had ended that he, he didn't have to go to the hospital and that he, you know, was, you know, while stretchered off the ice, you know, he was up and moving around and in the dressing room and, you know, was, was, uh, was, was functioning normally and, and everything like that. So for that, we were really, really grateful because you never want to see a player get injured and, you know, uh, you know, communicated that to, to Mark Bergevin, you know, as well. So, um, but from the play itself, you know, yeah, I did have a unique perspective because I, I did sit in on the, on the hearing, uh, and I did, um, you know, look at a lot of different things and a lot of different, you know, areas of it. Uh, I, I looked long and hard at the standard of, of, uh, charging, and what escalated it to a um, uh, to a, to a suspension type of penalty, and 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 I think, and I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to to spend the time to look at the you know the videos that the NHL produces, uh, not so much the suspension hearings themselves, although you can look at those too because they 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 do have some commonality when when players have been suspended for charging, but looking at the definition itself and and. Um, you know, they talked about, you know, the, the, the escalation of, of a charging penalty to a suspension is when a player leaves his feet, launches himself, um, you know, into uh, into the opponent. Um, uh, certainly distance traveled is, is certainly something that's talked about. But but in this case here, you know, my firm belief is that, you know, they're, they're both players actually traveled the same distance. They, you know, one was skating. Um, you know, to, you know, to, to go pick up the puck and, and come around the net and, and, and make a play. One was skating on a back check. Um, you know, if you look purely on distance traveled, every, every time that uh, you would forecheck on a player, technically, then you're, char- you know, you're charging if you go and hit a player technically. So there's a lot of technicalities that come into play. I think that, um, you know, uh, if you look at player and puck tracking, um, you know, and, and you listen to Mark Shifley's explanation of, of what was going through his mind, you know, at that time, um, you know, Mark Shifley at the top of the circle decreased his speed by 20 percent, um, you know, coming in uh, because he was looking to see whether, um, you know, the, the player was going to spin and go back, uh, you know, from, to the other post or come around the post. So he was making himself available, um, you know, to, 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 to go at either side. And then if you continue on um, and, 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 and they talk about it in the suspension video itself with Mark, um, you know, the player, the player is allowed to, to be hit. Now, again, the level of, of, of force and stuff like that, that, you know, is, 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 is hard to, um, you know, to judge. Um, you know, if you look at the play itself, I think that it, it's 0.8 seconds from the time that the player picks up the puck uh, behind the net uh, to the point of impact. Uh, 0.8 seconds in in a game that that a player has to make a decision. If you further look at the video, it, you know, and, and and the contention that um, you know the, the puck was already in net, it's 0.2 seconds that um, you know the puck crosses the line to the point of impact. And then further, if you look at the point of impact, um, you know, the, the, the player's head, you know, clearly is not the first point of contact. It's, it's the shoulder into, uh, into the body. And, um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, did, did, did it potentially, <clears throat> potentially ride up and, and, and have some, some head contact, you know, um, I guess possibly, but like it says in the suspension video that that happens, um, you know, in, 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 uh, in course of impact all the time. But um, so, so that's basically, um, you know, I guess my my interpretation and my uh, analysis of, of what uh, what transpired. 
There you have it. General Manager Kevin Sheveldayoff on Mark Shifley's suspension. And um, tell you what, I mean, does a pretty good job of breaking down and making the case that, you know, hearing that, knowing he was in it, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that Mark Shifley got four games considering what else has been let go with fines or not even hearings. But that's something that um, everyone around here will still be bitter about for a long time. No one more than number 55 who's not going to be in the opening night lineup next year because he has yet to serve his full term after the (laughs) Jets went out in four. We've got Scott Villa coming up. We're going to get his reaction and talk about what we heard today and a little bit more going into the offseason. Before we do that, I want to thank Not Autocorp for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk since day one. Why not get into the vehicle of your dreams at an incredible price with the help of the Not team? They're down at Waverly and McGillivray. Um, tons and tons of amazing vehicles, including a great selection of Teslas on the lot. And they do so much more than that, too. Uh, detailing, bodywork, Red Seal technicians in the shop. Uh, whatever your automotive needs, not Autocorp can take care of them for you. And if you're in a vehicle that you're looking to get out of, they'll help you move on out of that too with their very successful consignment program. Hit them up, not Autocorp, Waverly and McGilvery, or online at not.ca and tell them the boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. And lots of other things going on with our friends over at Little Brown Jug. Of course, the home delivery is continuing. And you know what might be perfect for dad coming up for Father's Day is one of the Little Brown Jug Father's Day baskets. A great basket to help dad kick off the summer. It includes the Good Times Variety Pack, which, of course, has the new summer lager, as well as the Hefeweizen, both incredible new beers from Little Brown Jug. Um, it's got the uh, Little Brown Jug Red Camping Mug, two koozies, a Never Better Special Blend Coffee, Joe Beef Barbecue Sauce, the Meat Company Sweet and Spicy Barbecue Beef Jerky, and an Angel's Share Hop and Hives Cocktail Mix which turns our Belgian IPA into a dish delicious Rattler. Also, be it in the various farmer's market events throughout the summer, visit the events page on the website for more info. And at that website, littlebrownjug.ca, it's easier than ever before to order your beer online, including the Father's Day pack, and get it delivered right to you. Hit them up at littlebrownjug.ca. And a shout-out to Breezy Bend. Lots of people were liking that breezy lid I was wearing yesterday, as do I. Uh, Cannot wait to get on the golf course. We've got the rules loosening, so at least we can be with some friends on the golf course beginning tomorrow. That is going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, next week is U.S. Open Week. We'll have a lot of golf coverage here on Winnipeg Sports Talk before tee-off at Torrey Pines coming up on Thursday. Can't tell you, Chesson Hadley right now is leading the Palmetto at Congaree. Dustin Johnson in second at eight. Under par, three shots back. Doc Redman, Harris English, Ches Reavy, Eric Van Royen, all within five shots of Hadley up at the top of the leaderboard. Find out more about breezybend.ca, uh, about breezy at breezybend.ca, or give him a call about the waiting list for next year's golf season. All right, let's welcome in Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun to uh, discuss more on the Winnipeg Jets end of season. Scotty, great to have you back on the program. Um, we haven't spoken the last few days. I, listen, just before we get to, um, you know, what we heard today from Kevin Shoveldayoff and Coach yep. Paul Maurice, we heard from the players on Wednesday. Um, I'm still personally, and I'm probably more emotionally invested than most members of the media. I will admit that. Um, I'm still not over the Montreal series. <laughs> I, mean, right. I still can't wrap my head around 
you know, just exactly how it went so bad so fast after how good the team looked in those situations against Edmonton. Um, you know, I know there was a ton of credit, deservedly so, for Montreal. Um, we haven't had, like, what did you make of the Jets' performance in in round number one against Montreal? What can we learn about that going into a very important offseason for the club? Well, I think it illuminated, you know, some of their deficiencies. They don't have a puck-moving defenseman that they can get out of their zone, right? I mean, that was one of the biggest problems that they had. I, I think it, you know, it shone, shone a light on a little bit on, um, you know, some of the, you know, they need to have a better strategy for getting through the neutral zone when there's a trap. I mean, you're not going to see that all the time. Montreal played that very well. I mean, we're, we're looking at a team that's, you know, kind of played a 1995 New Jersey Devils style in that series and, and did it well. Um, you know, but the, at the same time, you also just need some other players to step up. I mean, there just wasn't enough of the top end talent remaining because, you know, Mark Shifley was obviously out for the series and, and, and Paul Stasny and we played, uh, you know, the final two games of it. But, you know, we, we didn't see enough from Pierre-Luc Dubois. We didn't see enough from Kyle Connor. Um, you know, even Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, you know, and I don't even, I, I struggled to blame Nikolai Ehlers. There was times where he was trying to take on three or four defensemen just to gain the zone, the offensive zone. And, you know, so I'm not, you know, he's the guy that, that was doing that. But there just wasn't enough, there wasn't enough size, you know, that thing too. There wasn't enough you know, uh, strength to get to the front of the net to make it hard for, 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 for Carey Price to see a shot. I mean, that that guy saw pretty much everything in this series. And the, the other stuff that he didn't, the second chance opportunities were swatted away by Montreal defensemen before the Jets could get a stick on them, mostly because the Jets weren't even in position to do anything. So, you know, it just, it, 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 I think to me it showed there's a still quite a ways to go for this Jets team. They can talk about, yes, they have a core, they have all that stuff, but if you don't have that defensive part of your game um, down, you're not getting through, you know, the second round. You, you might get through the first round. They did. They also got very, very, very good goaltending from Connor Hellebuck in that first round. In the second round, he was still very good. I just don't. I think thought he, he was, was better that. in the second round, to be honest with yeah, you. I mean, just, like no I hear this. Let, let me just right? let me just hit on this because you know mm. I, I've had a lot of people say, well, listen, the only difference in the uh, in the two series was that. You know, they, they were like the Edmonton series, and we all agree was very, very close, razor thin margins, and they right. won 4 0, but that wasn't really a sweep. And people say, well, it was just the same thing. It wasn't the same thing. That was a very close series. The Montreal series was not close in any aspect of the game. I, 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 yeah. And listen, if Connor Hellebuck wasn't as great as he was, it would have been even uglier than it was. I mean, you had a couple close scores, one nothing in game two. 3-2 in, ga- in in overtime in game four. Can right. anyone tell me that those were close games? I mean, they weren't, in in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, th- I think this is the team that really had a very specific set game plan for Edmonton, and they were able to carry it out. When it came to Montreal, the game plan wasn't there. Um, you know, to try and outgrind Montreal wasn't the right game plan, if that's what it was, because Montreal came in and outground the Jets, you know, into oblivion, essentially. I mean, you, you saw it. That, that their fourth line, Montreal's fourth line, was dominant against the Jets, right? Whether it was Shifley's, well, not Shifley's line, but whether it was the top line or whether it was Nate Thompson's line, it was still, it, it was, it was a struggle throughout the series. I think there was a game plan there. You, you know, they didn't open the taps enough. But even when, if they could open the taps, 
Then you had the two-on-ones coming the other way. But the power play, you know, and the special teams weren't there for the Jets. You know, going negative three on the power play or whatever it ended up being. I think the Jets ended up scoring one in, in game four. I can't remember now. But, um, you know, it was just wasn't good enough. I mean, you, you can't allow three shorthanded goals. I get one is is, is late and, and it's kind of floated into the net. I believe it was Joel Armia who got that one. Um, but but even then, you can't allow those other two in very, you know, important moments of the series. And, and then it was just the same sort of things we see from this team. There just wasn't enough out of the gate um and even when there was they would get scored on so they didn't score a lot first i know blake wheeler talked about this quite a bit um after they just couldn't get that first goal they didn't have a lead at all during the series i mean that's <laughs> that's tough to win hockey games when you're always chasing the game and especially chasing a suffocating team like the montreal canadians were it's very tough because they were so good at at, at really just you know, killing the Jets off uh, and 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 sucking the life out of them, and then obviously Carey Price. I mean, took whatever kind of hope that was remaining in the sales out of it because he was just so good in the series. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Um, before we dive into some of the particular topics, just about overall, um, what did you think overall? Just the uh, the mood, the uh, content of what we heard from both the coach and the general manager today. Yeah, I thought Shevel Dayoff's press conference was probably just, you know, kind of par for the course of what you normally see. Not really telling us much of what's going to happen, what they're, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Paul Maurice is a little more honest about it. Um, you know, it, it, it's not what fans want to hear. You know, when when you talk about Billy Heinola and guys like that, you know, I thought it was interesting that Paul Maurice talked about, you know, Heinlein not being the tipping point. These Some of these guys, David Gustafson, you know, the guys that, you know, like, that wouldn't really play the roles that they want them to play, you know, kind of being the tipping point. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm stuck on a fence on this here. I, I wrote my column the other day and, you know, some people think I, I ripped on the team and, and fair enough. Um, I did a little bit. And, um, but it's a tough one. I, I, you know, if you look at the larger picture of this, it's been two and a half years since the Jets kind of fell from grace, right? Um, it hasn't rebounded from Bufflin kind of leaving the team, retiring. Um, it hasn't rebounded from losing Ben Sherratt, Tyler Myers, um, those guys. Uh, I struggle to wonder why it hasn't gotten there yet. I know Paul, uh, Kevin Shelvev said it's not an overnight fix. Uh, fair enough. Uh, you know, it is very difficult to do that. Um, but have we seen enough? You know, like I mean, Kevin Sheldeff said, or Paul Maurice said, I guess they both sort of did, talked about, you know, they need to find people to play with with Josh Morrissey or, or with Neil Pionk and that sort of thing. So why haven't those things, you know, come together yet? We've had arguably two of Josh's worst seasons now back-to-back as a player. Um, and that's largely in part to, I think, who he's been playing with. I mean, when we saw him playing with Dylan DeMello, very good, right? I mean, even with Neil Pionk, very good. But you want to have Pionk and Morrissey separated in, in, in these instances so you can have a stronger unit. But is the unit stronger when they are separated but playing with, you know, lesser kind of talent next to them? You know, I think the Jets have never really been the same since Morrissey and, and Truba kind of you know, defensively, since Morrissey and Truba kind of went away, and obviously Dustin Bufflin, right? But 
so yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, I, I didn't take much out of Kevin Shildale's conference. It was a lot of just talking points. Um, you know, that we always, yeah, say and again, what's year, he going right? to say? I mean, it's like, well, yeah, we're going and making a big push at this guy or something. I mean, right, I think yeah. they were pretty clear. They want to improve the defense. We know that they seem to be very yeah. happy with their core. There doesn't seem to be a big hangover, not questioning of the yeah. core or anything because of the way things happen against the Montreal Canadians. And certainly I think that there's obviously some, you know, uh, listen, I wasn't sure what we'd hear from Maurice today and, and, and Cheval Dayoff in just that, you know, the way things ended when you combine with the way the regular season ended, yeah. you know, we sort of had this blip, like this wonderful, incredible week where everything came together. Paul Maurice had a plan. They followed it. They looked good. And all of that was sort of erased. But then comes the Montreal series. And I think a lot of people are, you know, kind of you know wondering, you know, is this which which team is it? Um, yeah. and, and again, like I said earlier this week on the show, if you look at the regular season, in a lot of ways, there's incredible parallels to the regular season to the playoffs. I mean, I thought yeah. the Jets came out, had a good start to the year. They won a lot of those close games that could have gone either way. Um, and they got to 27 and 14, essentially had clinched a playoff spot, you know, with six, eight weeks left in the season. Um, and then you had that miserable final month of the year which couldn't have gone much worse. I mean, first time we've seen a seven-game losing streak in Winnipeg in 10 years, losing 9 out of 10. And to their credit, they got it back when they needed to in the first round of the playoffs. But much like the regular season, you had that great start, which was the four-game sweep of Edmonton, and then an unexpected and somewhat incredible crash landing in that second round, Scott. Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm going back to kind of one year. You talked a little bit, and oh, now I kind of brain farted on it. But you know, it, it, it's—I don't know. I—I I wonder. I wonder what the identity of this team is, and I—and I think that's. I asked Paul Maurice, and and I don't. He didn't answer what it is. He kind of answered what he wants it to be. He wants it to be fast and fast and physical. Well, this team can be fast. I'm not so sure about physical, but but if that's the see, so like here's the thing. Like I mean. If that's what your team needs, because I don't think the Jets really had much of an identity this year, and I think that was part of the problem, right? Like, you're, you're you're kind of trying to adjust your game to the other team, and obviously that's part of the game plan. I get that. But the Jets didn't really play to their strengths at all because I'm not really sure what their strengths really were other than Connor Hellebuck in, in the net, right? And so, I mean, they have this 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 offensive core, this nice spine down the center of, of top – you know, kind of top-notch uh, uh, centers, but, you know, some of them weren't playing to their abilities. Pierre Dubois will be one of them. Um, you know, and, and so it just wasn't there this year. And so I'm, I'm trying – I'm very interested to know what – and I, I wasn't able to be on the call uh, or at least ask a question to Kevin Chaldev because I was dealing with COVID stuff. But I, I, I want to know what the identity – they wanted this identity to be. So if Paul Maurice has the same sort of idea, fast and powerful, fine. But then go out in this offseason and and make it so, right? Like, get those pieces. Supplement the roster that you have now because it can be fast. Kyle Connor, great straight line speed. Uh, you know, Nikolai Elias, of course, blazing kind of speed, right? If that's what you want it to be, then go out and get those players to supplement what you already have. Um, if you want it to be physical, well, that's going to start, I think, on the back end too because that's where 
you're missing some of that physicality. Yeah, I think all of it, general. all of it seems to look at the blue line, Scott. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, well, I think so. You know, when you talk about the, you know, the speed, I mean, you named it. I mean, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Nikolai yeah. Ehlers. I mean, they've got it up front. And even on that third line, I mean, Adam Lowry's not the fastest guy, but Andrew Kopp certainly no. can fly. Mason Appleton can fly. And and that's a, a, a physical element. Line, right? that, yeah. And yeah. that, that he really wanted in that, in that, in you know, like, I would say that the forwards, based on what Maurice said, it's pretty close to where they are, you know, if they're playing the way that they can. The blue line, though, is an entirely different story. Yeah, and we saw it exposed in a big way against Montreal. And to yeah. me, that's, I mean, that is the priority. Now, the question about the blue line, and it was interesting hearing, you know, Maurice talk about it specifically with these younger players. I think we all expect Billy Hanala to be on the team and playing next year. But, you know, he said himself, like everybody, they've got to go, you know, earn earn a job. And, you know, there's a number of players on that left side, particularly young players, including Logan Stanley. Let me ask you this. And again, it's very difficult, but this is what we do. We speculate. We look into the future. From Dayoff's perspective, I mean, are we looking at free agency to try to fill a hole or two like they did last year on some shorter term deals and give the opportunity to those young guys to show that they belong? Or is the need for a premium top pairing defenseman so great for the Winnipeg Jets that Kevin Dayoff might be willing to part with some premium assets are potentially yeah. a player from the core to get that guy here to play big minutes for Maurice on the jet blue line. Yeah. And I guess it depends on what shovel day up wants to do. I mean, that's obviously what we're talking about, but it's like, you know, are, is he willing to give away a Heinola or a Samberg likely, you know, it's gotta be one of those two, right? It, Cause uh, and, I mean, unless you're trading, you know, if you're going out to a team, uh, depending who it is, you know, it, a lot of these teams aren't trading their top four defensemen, right? So you really have to, you really got to target a certain guy and then you have to make a good offer. And a good offer isn't just going to be Niku and whoever else, right? It's going to be one of these top prospects and likely even a roster player if that's what you want. I think they have to evaluate, can Heinola come in? Can Samber come in? Can those guys come into the and I don't all three of them. I mean, Paul Marie said it's unlikely that all three of them can come into line. Well, that that is partly true because you know it, it, they're all left-handed guys, and 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 the problem is you want Sandberg, you want Stanley, you want you know all these guys, and we'll see what happens with the expansion draft. If or, you know, do, do they protect Stanley? What happens to Demello? Is Appleton gone? Whatever, right? But it is on defense, right? I mean. There are, and and Paul Maurice said it himself. He admitted it today that their defense is the issue, right? And and it needs to catch up. And he kind of clarified that that's not what he didn't mean catch up to to Hellebuck or whatever, but it, it needs to be better. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, this is you know kind of the crunch time. We've said this before, though. I mean, it was crunch time last off season too. I think if they would have got that top four guy, then you can probably start playing a certain different game. Stop limiting your forwards because you have to get them to play such a defensive style of game. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's either you really go hard in on on, on a Heinola, on a Samberg, whoever it might be. Um, but the, I think the problem that you have right now is that all those guys want left-handed spots. You're probably thinking that Logan Stanley's secured himself a spot for next season. Where is Vili Heinle going to play? Is he going to play with Neil Pionk? Uh, you know, it, it depends, right? I mean, that's ideally probably where you want him. You want him in the top four. You want him playing those minutes. Um, so is, is that where he's going to play? I'm not so sure Paul Maurice left the door open completely, though, 
Brian will either stay, be in the lineup next season. I mean, you go back and read one of his quotes. I mean, like you, you said in, when you're asking me, it is partly he has to earn a spot. And, you know, I, I didn't hear that about Logan Stanley or that sort of thing. I think Logan Stanley's kind of earned his spot if he's here, obviously. Um, if Dylan DeMello plays with Josh Morrissey next year, we saw how great that pairing can be in the, in the first round. Right. So is that the thing, but uh, I don't know. I think this team is at some point has to show they need to make that big move to acquire that big player to do it. If you, yeah, if you, it's great if you could do it all in and draft and develop and do all that kind of stuff. And all those guys came in. It's great for your, your cap and all that stuff. But I just, I wonder you know, I don't. I've never seen a team just do it solely on draft and developing. At some point, you have to make that move to make your team better, and that might mean breaking up your core, whatever it might be, to try and achieve that. And I don't know what that looks like. Does it mean trading Kyle Connor? Does it mean trading Nick Ehlers? I don't think Ehlers is on the table anymore. Not like he was maybe last summer. Kyle Connor might be. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. But he has such a good contract. For a guy who's well, then he scores score 40 goals, a ton right. of goals. And so how do you I replace mean, that? Right. So how yeah. do you replace that? So it's like, I, granted, this is all very difficult, right? It's easy for us in the media to say, "Oh, just do this and do this and do this," and 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 I think we become victims of that sometimes because it's like, "Well, just go out and do something," right? It's not that easy to do. Like, granted, that it, it, it isn't easy to do that. Um, but but this is Shoveldayoff's job, right? He has to find a way to build a winner in this city. Well, and and here's um, the thing. And here's the thing just on that, because, you know, we're talking about it, like they've realized the organizational need for defense and they have addressed it through the draft. Um, right. You know, first rounder on Billy Hanela, second rounder on Dylan Sandberg. And, you know, as I believe it was Sandy that just mentioned in the chat, I mean, anyone that watched the Moose this year sees a six, five monster in Kovacevic <laughs> on that blue line that I think thinks that there might be a potential for him, too. But to your point, very difficult to come in and move all those guys in when everyone yeah. wants to see them and thinks that they're ready at the NHL level. And at the same time, if you go and spend significant assets to you know get a guy that's automatic top pairing, top four every single game out on the lineup card, you know it then does prevent a barrier for these guys to come in. And in some ways, it's a very difficult catch-22 between making sure you're icing your best lineup, giving yourself the best chance to win every night, but at the same time, these guys can't get experience if they don't play. And, you know, it's a fine line. And I understand why it can be so contentious with fans. And it's probably sometimes, you know, going back and forth between the coach and general manager as to what is the best, you know, path going forward yeah. for the club, short term, long term, as opposed to the coach's main job. And that's to ice the lineup that gives him the best chance to win and get two points. Yeah. And here's the thing if you've, gone all in on these drafting right you you talked about it you know, if you've gone all in and and you've decided hey we're going to build a defense through what we've done the draft so now we have Sandberg, Einola, Kovacevic, Declan Chisholm is another name there's a there's a bunch of guys right if that's your plan then you got to start playing them too right like how long can the, the, there's such a fine line here and you, you mentioned that but there's a fine line too about like what's the window right now is the window the next couple of years? Because, at, you know, once you hit that third year mark, now you're starting to worry about Mark Scheifele's contract, Connor Hullabuck's contract, right? You know, so you have those guys still under contract now for, you know, another three years, I believe it is, after after this year. So is it these next two years where you have to really, you know, go for it and figure it out? And what does that look like? I mean, 
you know, the, the one thing about having assets, it, it's good that you have them for your team, but sometimes they be, can, can be used, obviously, as, as, as trade pieces to get what you need. And we, we see other teams do this. I mean, Toronto Maple Leafs were going to trade their top prospect. He was on the board. I think he was number five on TSN's trade bait board at one point during the trade deadline because they're trying to win now. And, and so what are the Jets doing? Are they trying to win now? Is it all about cost certainty and, and, and team control over the next, you know, X amount of years? What is it? I mean, well, I don't, I, I don't think, think it was an all in push this year to win the Stanley cup. No, it leads to say it didn't so. happen. And I don't think that would have been a smart thing to do. I mean, I'll give Chevalier off credit in, in, I mean, he has swung for the fences as we like to say on a few occasions. First, yeah. it was Paul Stastny, which worked out incredibly for the team. The next year, it was Kevin Hayes, which didn't work out incredibly for the team. Bottom line is you cannot be doing that every single year after right. year, or you get into a situation like the Pittsburgh Penguins where you're kicking the can down the road, and at some point you have to pay the piper. Yeah. But as far as your question goes about this window, I mean, I really think that they feel that they're going into another window, which to me is three years. And it's pretty simple. Right. Connor Hellebuck signed for three years. Mark Shifley signed for three years. Blake Wheeler signed for three years. And he's, you know, it, obviously yeah. linked to linked to that core going forward. I mean, you do have Ehlers for another four years. So that is the window right now. But to your point, um, I think that if they did make an aggressive move, if you saw significant change on that blue line, I think the Jets have the forwards to compete most nights with most clubs. Um, but again, yeah, if they're spending all their time on their own end, if they're chasing, just trying to get the puck on their stick, like we saw in the yeah. Habs series, it complicates it. And it makes it very, very difficult. And more often than not, you end up leaning a lot more on your goaltender to bail you out, to keep you in hockey games. And it puts that much more pressure on your scorers to make the most of the chances that they get. Because as we've seen, it can be somewhat lopsided when you have those issues in your own end and especially yep. have a problem getting the puck out of your own end and onto the sticks of your offensive players to let them do what they can do best. Yep, I agree. I mean, you know, that's at, at the end of the day, this is going to come down to defense. I think you can find forwards to supplement your roster all the time through free agency and stuff like that. I mean, when we saw some shrewd moves by Montreal to get guys like Eric Stahl, to get guys like Corey Perry. I mean, what a pickup for, for Montreal to get a guy like that. But but those guys are available. I mean, you just have to get them here. And, and that's not always the easiest thing. But again, you can deal with your forwards. You also have guys coming up like Cole Perfetti. And, and you know, there's other guys in the system that you could, you know, David Gustis and Christian Veselainen, who are going to grow into roles over time as well. But yeah, like you said, I mean, you have a top nine right now. It depends what happens with Paul Stasny. Does he resign? That sort of thing. But again, yeah, it, it does. Like you said, comes down to defense. You got to get that better. Got to let Connor Hellbuck have a little less, you know, rubber on him. But you got to also let your forwards do what they they can do because that's the one thing that we saw in the 2017-18 run is that the forwards didn't have to play as much defense because they had a pretty good defense. I mean. I know everybody ragged on Sherrod and, and Myers and that sort of thing, but a lot of those people now would love to have those guys back. I think to you know because that th- there was something to those players playing together, right? I mean, obviously you had Buff too and, and and Enstrom as well, and so all that stuff you know is is, is important. But again, it, it, it just shows to show how important it is to have a, a solid defensive 
structure. Core yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt talent. that that is. Yeah, I mean that is yeah. the absolute number one priority for the hockey club yeah. going into next year to you know to change a bit of the look. And again, part of that, I think the best case scenario for the team is that that sort of happens naturally from within as part of the draft and develop program. But you know, listen, I absolutely see your point in that. You know, and 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 this would be Paul Maurice's point as well. Listen, yeah, these are talented young guys, yeah. but do we just give them spots or? You know, do we see if they're ready and see if they're better than the other guys we have? And as far as the free agents goes, and maybe this is the perfect storm for the Winnipeg Jets. We know that this is going to be a very difficult summer for free agents. We know that the cap is flat. There's a number of players. And to your point, the Corey Perry's of the world that were just looking for somewhere to play, even on a very, very cheap deal to go in short term help a team win. And the Jets did that very well with Derek Forbert. Listen, I know people were all over Forbert at times in the playoffs and in the second half of the season, but considering what they paid the, like what the yeah. risk was to get him there. And he helped them so good at the beginning yeah, of the year. Absolutely. Right? Like, huge yeah. win, huge win for the club. So, yeah. you know, maybe it's that sort of a player and maybe it's, it's a, it's more expensive player. I and mean, we saw Tyson Berry take a one year prove it deal in Edmonton. And we saw yeah. that, how that worked out here for, for him. I don't think there's any doubt that if you're a free agent defenseman, you might not be thinking long-term, but I think the potential of playing with a pretty talented Winnipeg team and the opportunity to step in and play a very significant role for someone that's trying to parlay that into a bigger contract would be there. But again, you'll be able to get a certain level of player, um, you know, on the free agent market. You won't be able to get that franchise cornerstone for the most part. I mean, I guess anything can land possible. Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. Well, I was about to say, yeah. I mean, yeah. what's that going to cost? How many other teams oh, are going to be in? What's the real, <laughs> yeah. like how realistic is that happen? And listen, I'm just going on previous history. Yeah. Um, like uh, the jets can be as aggressive as they want. It usually doesn't work out when we're talking about big primetime free agents in Winnipeg's favor. And that's why, um, you know, you're really, you're not only looking to trade for somebody, but you're looking to trade for someone that's either has a long-term contract without trade barriers or someone that hasn't even gotten to that point yet and is under team control. And you can work on signing long-term like you've done with some others. I mean, it's not easy to be done, but that player that we're talking about that everyone dreams about, probably not just available by signing them on the open market. If you're the general manager of the Winnipeg jets in most cases. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the guy I'm looking at the list right now, I mean, you know, you could go after Jamie Alexiak again. I know the jets ran on him at the trade deadline there. It didn't materialize obviously. Um, But yeah, like it's not a huge list of top names. I mean, David Savard, you could think of again, uh, and then kind of Dougie Savard's Hamilton. a big guy that would be a great fit here. And yeah, again, I don't I, know I what think... he's looking for and like how long of a contract and what the market will be for Savard. Yeah, I mean, I think in a normal time, I think he would absolutely be in demand as a guy that could play top four minutes, big, strong. I mean, many of the things we talked about the Montreal defense, David Savard's brings to the table, and he's going to have an opportunity to show what he can do yeah. potentially all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals if they can get past the uh, the New York Islanders. But that would be the type of player, maybe not very flashy, but big, powerful, reliable defensively, can move the puck if need be. I mean, it would be a great compliment to either a Morrissey or a Pionk if you're talking about those spots. So that is the sort of player. And, you know, hey, if they can do it, and maybe you do have to overpay a little bit, you can actually do that if you've got 
couple other defensemen on your blue line playing on entry-level contracts. That yep. is the one thing that they do have the flexibility and not to mention the other guys coming off the uh, off the books. Let me ask you yep. this, though, Scott. Let's transition from the blue line because I know we'll probably spend, you know, the entire yeah, summer speaking summer. about the blue line. Um, yeah. For forwards, we spoke about the potential of, you know, maybe moving one of those core pieces for a big – that would have a big hole in the lineup. What are your thoughts on the year that Cole Perfetti had? Like, I don't think for a second it was ever yeah. in the plans that he might be an NHLer a year after being drafted. Yeah. But when you think about the year that he had, the way he showed himself in the American Hockey League in particular, never mind the chance to get out and play at the World Championships, I think he's really changed his position in the organization as to maybe being sure. a realistic option for next year. And then there's the other side of things with the fact that if he's not on the jets, he's got to go back to the Ontario hockey league, which I think by any standard would be a step back from where he was playing this year. D- does the yeah. Cole, does Cole Perfetti's season change anything as far as what may be available to do up front? And if I had to ask you, who's more likely in the opening day lineup for the jets next year, Cole Perfetti or Paul Stastny, who's most likely? Yeah, I think it's Paul Stasny. I mean, it depends, right? The, here, it, it, this can, the problem is all this stuff is married to the defense, right? So depending what you do on defense, right? That that, that but but here, let's let's just take that out of it. Hey, just quickly before you go, there's some people in chat. You know, Perfetti has to go back to the OHL if he if he plays next year, Frosty. It's not that he can't. It's that that's the only he can't go yeah, to the American Hockey the American League next year because of the CHL deal, and that's a big yeah. deal for NHL teams. And there have been some guys that ended up playing maybe not very much in their 19 year old year just yeah. because they didn't think there'd be a big benefit of having him back. And who knows? Maybe playing and practicing with the guys and being in the press box at times would be something. It is too bad he couldn't go back for more AHL time. Anyways, I just want to hit that before yeah. people uh, got the wrong idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he can't go back. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Cole Perfetti is going to play next year for the Jets, and, and the reason is, the reason is this: they're probably going to go into training camp with the idea. And here, let's go through this full training camp. Let's get PLD on the track that we want him on. We want him playing center. So you got Shifley, him, uh, Shifley, PLD, Lowry. You don't want Cole Perfetti playing on the fourth line, right? That's not where you want him. You don't envision him there. That's not where he ever is ever going to play. So, and Paul Maurice talked about that this morning. We're not, we don't want guys in positions that they're not going to play. Um, you know, that, that's part of the reason why they, they don't want Heinle playing third line minutes. They don't want him playing eight minutes a night, right? Or third pairing minutes, sorry. They don't want him playing eight minutes a night. There's no benefit they, they feel to it. So we have to factor in that too. What, what, how does the coaching staff historically done this stuff? Well, if you want to look at the 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 other center before it was yeah Culver Betty, the big name guy, it's Mark Shifley. How many times did Mark Shifley look like he was ready to probably play a little bit, but they sent him back, right? Yeah, but uh, it was only like he had the great, he had like the amazing preseason as a eighteen yeah. year old, and then got a few games in, and then it was quite obvious that he went through. He never had a few months of in the American Hockey League, and that's the of one difference. That's why it was just it was such a wild. unique opportunity yeah. for Perfetti because of the way things were this year that he got that chance. And you I know, just, as I said, you know, we're seeing younger players contribute, and some teams are more 
um, are open to it. seem to bring these young guys in sooner than others. And listen, it's hard to argue with the way the Jets have developed their talent. I guess I'm just thinking that with this Where's scenario, like play? I don't think the Jets are too keen on having Cole Perfetti go back to the OHL, but they might think that's preferable than having him being in and out of a lineup or playing in a spot that doesn't really project as to where he'll be as an NHLer. And I mean, as long yeah. as nothing changes, and I don't think there's any talks that it possibly could, that is going to be a tough decision for the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, sometimes we've seen some young guys, even this year, like I don't think they'd ever want to get into a Billy Hainless situation, um, you know, where he's the Bernie Sanders, uh, the Bernie yeah. Sanders <laughs> pick, um, you know, spending all that time out. Um, but again, do you want a guy going back completely dominating a league that he's better than, doesn't really belong in? Um, does like what does that do for his development? At the end of the day, though, if guys in the lineup, it's going to be because he's ready and he can help the team win hockey games. Yeah, and I, you know, Cole Perfetti be in camp next year. I don't, I don't. Well, you know, I, I assume he'll be in camp. He might even get games, you know, in the regular season, that sort of thing, to see what happens. But I just, I don't think there's going to be room for him next year, and I think that's part of the problem. Now, you can also say, well, where's the room going to come in the next? you know, several years if they sign PLD long-term. Well, we'll figure that, you know, you cross that bridge when it gets there. I don't think Cole Perfetti is going to be going to play the wing. I think, you know, if, if you think Perfetti is that guy, then you probably start transitioning PLD back to the wing where he played in junior instead of instead of playing center. So maybe that's the thing too. I think that's an organizational decision that they're going to have to make depending on with, you know, but next year is PLD's kind of prove it year, right? I mean, you know, here, okay, so you had a bad year. There's a lot of excuses for that. I, I, I don't say excuses as a disrespectful thing. There was a lot of, you know, just things that happened this year that were yeah. completely out of his control and and that he had to go through. And and so I have empathy for that 100%. But I think next year he has to show it before the Jets are going to invest in him. Um, and that sort of thing. And so I think Cole Perfetti is just going to have to go back. I mean, that's just the reality of it. It, 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 it he was presented with an opportunity this year that never would have been there if not for COVID, right? And so I don't think Cole Vervetti can say, oh, we all, I'm going to be upset that I'm going back to the OHL. He knew that was probably going to happen anyways, right? And yes, he showed very well in the AHL. Does that always transition right away? No. I mean, we can look at Sammy Niku as that AHL defenseman of the year. Didn't turn out to be the NHL defenseman of the year. Um, so, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I don't think they're going to rush a guy like Perfetti because of the spine that they have now. They don't really need to. And if you throw Paul Stasny into that mix again, I think that's another year. You're probably only signing Stasny to another one year or something like that, right? So I don't think that there's just going to be the room. I know that's not what yeah. fans want to that, hear. Well, that's I sort of why it, I asked the question because yeah. I really do see that, you know, if for whatever reason, I I mean, it's not Stasny. guaranteed that Paul Stastny, you know, might not have a better offer or wants, right. you know, a better place for his family and he might not be in the mix. And then if that's the case, you know, you have yeah. some tough decisions to make cap wise, where are you going to be spending yeah. that money? And listen, if you were confident that Perfetti was ready to play and could be in a role in the top nine, whether it be center, whether it be on the ring, it certainly does free up a pretty nice paycheck to give to someone that can help your blue line. But for sure, you know, all of that, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, we're going to be getting into expansion draft talk soon. Then of course the draft and then free agency, which will be fascinating for the Winnipeg Jets. Scotty, before we go, um, of course you've been doing double duty for the last 18 months between the Jets and COVID. Let me ask you this, because you'd be as much of an expert on this as anyone. Give me a date that I can expect to be oh, able to go into Boston Pizza, yeah. sit at the bar, even if it's by myself, 
and order a beer indoors or even well, if that's not the case, get out on patios. Like, how optimistic can we be right now? Yeah, July first, I think. You know, if if it's just by yourself, I mean, if you're if you're going in there and drinking alone, right? Uh, then yeah, I think I, I think July first is that date. I think those numbers, the seventy five. Like you think they'll still be households? Like like when they get open, it'll still I, I, be. To I, the you're one asking household? me to. I, I don't. Uh, Tough to say. One. It, it's it's so hard to say, right? I don't want to promise something or say something that. Because even yeah. these, even public health can't say it, right? But se- here's the thing: seventy percent, twenty-five percent is achievable. That will happen by July first. I, I did this, some of the math last night. You can check my tweets on it. My my concern, and I, again, I'm not a math expert by any means, but my concern is first getting these first dose um, targets by uh, it's August long and Labor Day. Those are the ones that I'm more concerned about because. First doses are leveling off here, right? Like we're we're not booking a ton of first dose appointments anymore. There's a lot underway to try and get people, course people, whatever you want to call it. Course is a terrible word, um, but you know, it, it, to get people to get that, to 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 convince people that this is the right thing to do. It's going to happen a little slower though for that, and I think so. That that's just uh, you know, temper. I don't want to say temper expectations. I, I don't want to ruin people's summers. I, I, just, I, I think we will be able to, on July 1st, that's their plan, Canada Day, I think you'll be able to go to a bar and indoor, it's not going to be, it's probably going to be difficult to get in, people are going to want to go and do that, maybe July 2nd is a better day, um, but but by <laughs> July 1st, you know, I think we're going to be able to at least do some of those things, especially patios, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, like the re- think, restaurants yeah. and bars open like but that, think, as far as being outdoor dining. Yeah. And then just, to, just like September 6th, Labor Day, that sort of stuff. I mean, that's going to depend on our vaccine uptake. I do think there is hope for that. Um, I do think that we will get to 75% second dose because we're already going to, tr- we're tracking towards that 75% first dose. I think most people that get a first dose are, are automatically wanting that second dose, right? Because the people who go and get the first dose want to be fully vaccinated. You want your vaccine card. You want to be able to travel. You want to be able to not have to self-isolate if you're close contact. There's a lot of perks to being fully vaccinated. And I think people just in general want to be fully vaccinated to protect one another. And we're seeing that. So I think people it's just, just want to win the big number. money. Well, even that too, right? I mean, you know, there's all that stuff, right? I mean, but I, I think it's just that that first dose getting up to 80%, that's going to be the hurdle. Whether that changes now you know, these things might change, right? These numbers, these targets, whatever, they might change to over time. We don't know. And, and that's really it. Like I'm trying to, uh, I, there's hope. I think, I think people just need to know that there is hope here. Uh, that's the hardest part right now because we're there still is. got these We've restrictions. We've got the plan, and, get yeah. the shot. And then August long weekend, August 5th is supposed to be CFL kickoff. And that could be 50% of well, the stadium and fans, potentially the right? whole place open up. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, as and many as we can pack in yeah. there. And if you've watched the hockey playoffs, you watch NBA. I mean, even if you watched the NFL last year, you, you kind of saw these stadiums that had at least some people in it. I mean, you know, if for sports fans, this is a sports show. If you want to be in the stands at, at the CFL game, I, I sound like a government official right now. I'm not. But, you know, if you want to be in there, I mean, get your shot. I mean, that's that's really it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's that, that's it. You want to be in the stands. I think that these things will become more and more accessible, especially for the CFL season and even more so for the next Jets season. Um, you know, more fully vaccinated. We, we've seen it in the playoffs. Watch the Vegas 
Colorado series. You saw tons of fans, both cities. It's incredible to watch and it makes you miss it so bloody much because you just, that atmosphere is just something else. I mean, I, I'm, I sit in the press box, but you get to see it around you and it's just, it's cool to see people happy. And I think we all just miss that. So. No doubt yeah, about it. Hey, rant. GoPro Trucker Manitoba, <laughs> thank you very much for the super chat. Everyone have a good weekend. Stay safe. That's what we're talking about. We do get a little loosening. You can maybe meet outside with a friend yeah. or two and have a beer on the weekend. That should be great. And I did see Eric pop in that uh, hoping to have a beer with all of you at some point soon. I promise that when we are able to do so, we'll get together at one of the BP lounges. We'll have the WST gang join us live, get to meet some people. And Scott, I will have plenty of schooners for you waiting for you because of not only how much we enjoy having you on the program, but the great work you've been doing on both beats throughout the past 18 months. Uh, Have a good weekend, dude. And let's do this again soon. Yeah, you as well, man. Appreciate it. And everybody kind of stay safe this weekend. All right, on. There's Scott Billick, Winnipeg Sun. Great conversation coming off Paul Maurice and Kevin Sheveldayoff's availabilities earlier today. Uh, do want to get to some odds for tonight and the weekend for Cool Bet. Um, but do you want to thank, I was just mentioning Boston Pizza. Um, that is the dream. We are etching closer to having all our favorite restaurants and sports bars get opened up and actually being able to cheers each other in the meantime though you can still get the delicious taste of boston pizza the game day meal the pizza flights and so much more full menu available online at bostonpizza.com in order for takeout or delivery online or simply by calling your local restaurant and as i said very soon we'll get the patios open hopefully we can get those bp lounges open and uh, maybe by the time the bombers and the cfl kick off we can do a little watch party at some point dare to dream right now let's just get through this next little while but big thanks to boston pizza for their support um, another thing I'm very much looking forward to doing this summer is getting out to Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge, a world-class fly-in fishing experience right here in the province of Manitoba. We know how difficult travel is this year. Well, you can get the trip of a lifetime and be on the water within two hours of the city of Winnipeg. Uh, the Turen family does such an amazing job hosting people. Cannot wait to get back. Find out more about Aikens Lake online at AikensLake.com. Um, usually, I mean, these next couple of months completely booked with American tourists, obviously. Some openings this year because of the border situation. So take advantage of it. Check it out and tell them the boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. And... Of course, our good friends at Assiniboia Downs. We cannot wait for Monday for some more live racing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Remo and I with our ongoing duel at the Downs. He's got a well significant lead on me right now, which I do in change to I would do intend to close the gap going forward. But in the meantime, you can bet on racing around the world and all the live racing in Assiniboia Downs at HPIBet.com. And um, you can watch the races there as well. We'll get to the picks for Monday coming up on Monday's show, of course, and every day here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. All right. Um, we do have to get to some cool bet lines for the weekend, but let's get Michael Remus back in here after talking with uh, with Scott. Um, Reem, you know, an interesting day, and I don't think there was anything earth-shattering that we really heard from the coach and general manager. Um, you know, I think I'm with um, with Scott. There's only a, so much that we maybe were expecting to hear from Kevin Sheveldayoff. Um, and, you know, as his, I mean, listen, they're a group that keeps their cards to the vest. I don't think anyone was expecting him to run down. Well, these guys have made the team for next year. We've got these holes we're going to pick. This is going to be free agency. We're going to make a trade to get this guy. Obviously, that wasn't happening. 
But I thought the Maurice, uh, and listen, Maurice is the master in front of a microphone. There's nobody that does those uh, availabilities better. There were some laughs in it. There was some truth to it. And I think there was some, you know, especially when talking about his philosophy and the situation they have with those young players. Um, I think he was pretty honest. And and I, I appreciated that. Some fans maybe won't agree or maybe won't like it. Um, but he certainly didn't duck many of the questions as it pertains to the young players, where they were this season, and how they fit in going forward. Yeah, he answered all the questions. I thought it was uh, entertaining. The I guess the one thing they acknowledge is, look, you know, we did this. Uh, on the whole, it was a successful season. They wouldn't really acknowledge, um, you know, the finish in Montreal. They kind of sputtered out. But I think they recognize that, look, their defense needs improvement. They need some puck movers back there. Now we'll see if they actually do anything. You know, the offseason typically has, has been, you know, sign, you know, a fourth line veteran like Nate Thompson, Mark Letestu, Matt Hendricks. Let's sign, you know, some depth D and we'll see, you know, how it goes. Um, are they going to do that again? Are they going to sign Paul Stasny? Chevy did actually touch on Matthew Perot, who wasn't available. I feel like he's kind of walked out on that stuff before and hasn't done the end of season availability. He said, don't look into it, but I don't know. He's, he's going to come back at $4 million a year. I mean, the Jets, I don't no, think the Jets. No, that, that's, yeah. I mean, listen, Perot's going to be looking to keep playing in the National Hockey League, and he'll be one of those veterans on the back nine of their career that gets squeezed by the market. And, you know, listen, Perot's been a big part of this team for a while. He's played in a number of different spots. And and I'll be honest, I thought he had a great year. I mean, as far as for what I was expecting for Matthew Perot coming into this season, I thought that when he was on the fourth line, he played very well. When they needed him to move up, he would fit in with the Lowry line if Cop was, you know, moving up into the top six. Um, and even at times, you know, moving up into the top six and having a role on the power play. So, um, you know, I, listen, I don't think that they'll be... Like Matthew Perot, would they be pleased to have him back at a reasonable number? I'm sure they would be open to that. Uh, but I think the key is the number as well as the spot that he'll be playing and how that goes forward. I mean, is he a fourth liner and he gets paid accordingly? Could that work? Yeah, it probably could. But again, it goes back to the conversations we had about some of those other younger players. And and Remus, one of the one of the guys that Maurice in particular gushed about. And there was a lot of talk about the defense, but it was interesting to hear how high he was on Christian Veselainen in the year that Vess had yes. this year. And certainly if you if you listen to Paul Maurice and his comments there, it's hard to take away anything other than Veselainen not only has a good chance to be in the lineup, but could be playing a far more significant role than he did this year when he got into the lineup sparingly. Yeah, I agree. He definitely talked about Christian Veselainen. There's a lot of talk about him. You know, is he a bust? Is he not? I have no idea. He barely played. And when he did play, it was unlimited minutes and not really in an offensive role. Um, there was, a, I think near the end of the year, he showed up. You saw his shot at times. So I, I have no idea what to think of him because he really didn't play a lot. And one thing Maurice mentioned was about Billy Haino. He's like, well, we couldn't play him on his offside. And, you know, next year on the left side, we're pretty jammed up. We have Stanley. We have, um, you know, Morrissey. Uh, you know, we have Sandberg, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you have so many guys, go make a trade. Go bring someone who, in who can play. Um, so I, will they make a trade? I mean, how long can you say, okay, we're saving for the future? You know, we're not going to activate his ELC because we want to go for the future. I mean, as you said, 
I mean, you got Mark Shafley three more years at a pretty good salary. You have Connor Hellebuck, who's the best goalie in the league, or, you know, top three, you can argue, whatever, top two. Uh, reigning Vesna Trophy for three more years at pretty reasonable salary. You got to go for it. You got, you know, Connor, Ehlers. Um, you know, Wheelers, I, I, while he may, you know, salary may be more than his production, he's still a very solid uh, contributor to this team. So let's let's see them make some moves, make a splash. I mean, if you have to overpay for a guy, do it in a trade or a free agency. Um, th- I think they are closer than you think. They do need some puck moving D, but I think their forwards are good. Although, you know, maybe we're totally wrong because two years in a row, Shifley goes down and the whole thing falls apart. Well, you know, that is, you know, that, that, you know, again, they weren't going to touch on that at all today. But, you know, when we heard from Maurice saying, you know, you need to take a few days and then they're going to get into the series against Montreal and really get into it. And, you know, when you go back and watch those games, knowing the situation the team was in and what was expected of other players to step up and, you know, the, just the lack of, of production, you know, maybe that changes the thoughts on a player or two or the makeup of it. I doubt it, though. I mean, I think they really did seem like, you know, they were focusing on a lot of the strides that they made this year as a team um, and are very hopeful for going forward. And and to your point, though, I mean, it's easy for us to say, go overpay for a guy or make a massive trade and bring this guy in. I mean, you can't do anything that, you know, stifles your team long term or real short term game. We've seen many of those trade deadline deals blow up in the face. But I think the point is noted that, you know, the time to, you know, contend and not to mention going back to the central division next year is not going to be any picnic. I mean, these are some very, very good teams. And we're going to have a pissed off avalanche team after getting bounced by Vegas that probably feels that they have some unfinished business with a very, very stacked roster. So um, the offseason is going to be fascinating. I mean, first off, it'll be the expansion draft, the draft we will get into free agency. And at that point, I think there are some expectations that, you know, it might not be tons of moves, but one or two key moves that maybe significantly at least changes the look on the back end. And what that might mean for the forward group, I guess we'll see going forward. Um, Remo, I want to get to the uh, the cool bet lines and we're going to touch on the Euro as well. And I know the tournament started today uh, with this being sort of the end of jet season. We were going to focus on the local hockey team throughout this week, but I do promise you getting into next week, uh, of course, there's the Board of Governors me- uh, meetings for the Canadian Football League. We will have the latest on the CFL, and we will do some soccer content throughout this tournament as I think so many people are going to be tuned in to Euro 2020 as really the biggest worldwide sporting event that's taken place since the, uh, the, the pandemic began. But let's get to, we'll start off with the National Hockey League because the final four is set. Um, oh, and by the way, a little tease. If you want to hear us really get into these numbers, thoughts on the series, games, and more, check out the Lock Shop tonight. It will go live at 9 p.m. Winnipeg time. Um, check my Twitter, at Hustlerama. We'll probably put it out through Dustin Nielsen's Twitter account. But if you want to, if you're listening on the podcast and you haven't already, uh, just type in the Lock Shop in uh, your podcast feed and you can get that going forward. So we have two games set for coming up Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. We begin with the Islanders and Lightning. The Islanders now plus 155 on the money line. Tampa Bay minus 182. The Habs Golden Knights game is interesting. I actually took the Habs in the dog pound on the lock shop. I, I think there might be a bit of a... I, listen, I think Vegas is winning this series, but I wouldn't be surprised if 
you know, there might be a little bit of a letdown for Vegas after that thrilling six game series against the Colorado Avalanche. So if the Habs are going to get one on the road, I think it might be game number one. Uh, it opened at plus 185. It's now plus 221. Interesting to follow that line as we get closer to the game on the 14th. But right now, plus 221, Vegas minus 270. And I can tell you the series prices. Uh, just a massive favorite of the Vegas Golden Knights, minus 455. If you think the Habs can keep rolling on this miracle run, plus 345, more, just about three and a half times your money if you like the Habs to shock the world and win the series. As far as the Lightning and Islanders go, the uh, series is at plus 215 for the Islanders, so a little bit of a bigger underdog. Cash the ticket at plus 195 for their series against the Bruins. And Tampa Bay is minus 263 for the series. So um, I think they're probably good value, to be honest, on Tampa in game number one at minus 182. Although I certainly am pulling for the New York Islanders to win that series. And of course, as I mentioned, Euro 2020 is open. They're underway. Turkey and Italy in the first half right now, tomorrow. Um, essentially, if you're big into the soccer, plan your schedule accordingly. 8 a.m., 11 a.m., and 2 p.m. for the next few weeks. A match, at, well, three matches per day. Tomorrow it's Wales-Switzerland. Switzerland, the favorite. Denmark-Finland. Denmark, a big fave. And Belgium and Russia. Looking forward to that game. Uh, Belgium, minus 112 to win. I think that's what I'm on for tomorrow's matchup, getting into Euros. So we'll put the lines, coolbet.com. If you do want to take advantage of the bonus code, 100% on your first deposit up to 200 Check the link at Winnipeg Sports Talk's Twitter, Sports Talk WPG, or just simply use the promo code WST. Remo, I love your Belgian pick. I think that's who I'm going for for the tournament. I love that Kevin De Bruyne. There's not a lot of Belgian fans. It's not really a bandwagon team. I think that's the uh, that might be the official team for WST going into the tournament, unless you've got another suggestion. Yeah, I knew what I was doing when I picked Belgium, Huss. Uh, they were the team that I, I used in Red Card Soccer 2002 <laughs> or 2003 on PlayStation 2. They had this guy, uh, Mapenza. He was like their superstar. So I have no idea anything about soccer. I haven't uh, really followed it. But if it's going to be on all the time, maybe I'll tune in. Uh, it's between that and I'm really into the horse racing now. And of course, Major yes, League Baseball. Of, of course. Well, the good thing on. is you can spend the day watching Euro and then the evening on HPI bet getting your horse racing wagers for. And uh, we'll make a point of getting a, a soccer guy or two coming on over the next couple mm-hmm. of weeks to maybe uh, educate us a little bit more about what's going on. Now, Remo, I, I have seen it is Friday afternoon and I have seen that there is plenty of interest in potentially a week-ending marble race. What what are the technical capabilities right now of the command center? Are we worried about the computer, whether we can actually uh, do that? I mean, no, it wasn't planned. This would be sort of an impromptu thing at the end of the program. But I do think I could reach into the tickle trunk for an ice cream cake from the Nick and Nikki DQ group if we wanted to fire up a week-ending marbles race with the people that are with us in the chat. I can try. Last time we tried, it didn't work. Uh, it would be nice to end the end the stream with that. Let me see if I can fire up. My computer's been acting uh, funny. You're coming in very delayed for me, so uh, we'll we'll see if it can't make it any worse. But I'll I'll fire it up here. Uh, people right, are in. Now- we can see 
see if we can get who's in. I can just start yeah. typing in all these. If we can do it, names. I'll just start firing some names to you if you want. If uh, you want to do oh, that. It's, yeah, it's it's loading here. Give me a sec here. I'll just type them all in. Everyone's in. Yeah, I think that would be a fun way on a Friday. Yeah, if you haven't commented, just throw a comment in. Uh-oh. 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 Going. Uh, oh, yeah, it may, know, my it may have had a stream. It kind of is taking a dump here. <laughs> yeah, no, I got a lot of videos A little bit of a yeah, pause. We really do see what we're back, yeah. though. Everyone, uh, everyone is we excited. We're, so, folks, we're going to give it a crack. We're going to give it a crack. Um, yeah, yeah, no, we're back here. Um, a little bit of a pause on the YouTube stream, if you, uh, if you will. Hopefully, you can hear us okay. And um, obviously, this won't be as important for the podcast people. But while you're here, um, everyone, if you haven't already, please hit that thumbs up button. If you haven't subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Hit the red subscribe button. For those of you that are listening, to us on podcast check out the youtube as well and full, throw us a sub there um okay. you can watch us do our thing and with that sometimes will come the very exciting marble races at the end of the program when we have something to give away and we just felt like this would be uh <laughs> this would be a fun thing comment we didn't quite break the inter- internet yeah. but it could possibly be we are back right now all right remus is good okay do you want me to start giving you names just um let me clear everyone can i add names okay just list them off as quick as you can here yep you got it okay i'm just gonna go up to the top let's go the bullet t kona polly wrench doozer t will uh okay wait let me me try this again hold on hold on i gotta get into a different thing so i can do it actually actually type them in quick you got it uh hold on (laughs) <laughs> um, for some I reason Gitch Lishka just shouted out former jet great Zane Kalemba in the <laughs> in the chat no idea well, someone what the was, Zane someone Kalemba asked, reference was to okay I'll tell you what someone was asking what's the most obscure Jets jersey and this is my favorite question Jets jersey um, you know someone could get and I was like well are you talking about this year or all time and I would say all time, my favorite one would be, I would get Brett McLean um, because the Jets picked him up like right before the first game. He played in the first game and really never played that much. Or um, James Wright would be one of mine too. Well, I, I mean, like I'm Wright. down. If you want to talk about obscure, I don't how how could it be less more obscure than Zane Kalemba? I mean, Zane yeah, Columbus emergency backup goalie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, emergency <laughs> goalie. Good. I forgot that. I think I we had him on the radio. Well, we okay, did. Here. We did. Have I'm ready to. It was great. Uh, okay, you ready, ready to go? I'm ready to put all the names in. Yeah. Okay, just give me. Okay. I'm just gonna look at the chat too. Yep. Perfect. Tracy Okraniak, Rob Pepper, BA Split, Tristan Rivers, John D, the Bullet. T will Eric H. Yeah. Uh Troy Stevens. Jeff Kabilis. Yeah. T Kona Pauly. Yeah. Keep Yeah. Uh Dom Quicker, Zappia. Chris, go go quick. T Will. Brown eyed girl. Yeah. Uh, Mike K. 
Yeah. Darcy Cullen. Yeah. Gitch. Yeah. John D. Yeah. Frosty. Yeah. Uh, Dallas Pauls. Yeah. Comet. Rob Mahoney. Uh, we got T Will. We got yeah. Wrench Doozer. Jay Jones is in. I miss anybody. No. Uh, Mitch, of course. The Godfather. Brown Eyed Girl. Taylor. Uh, do do Darcy Cullen. Yeah. Uh, Comet. Candace Jane. Anyone else that we've missed? Uh, Michael Smith. He's fired up for a Kit Kat Blizzard. Kitty Pup. B yeah. Henderson. Jesse Nabs. Agent Q. Renee Dano, yeah. uh, John H, Mike Wynn, what up, Windog? Uh, Roger Thank Q, you. BW. I think we got Wrench Doozer in already. I VW. think. If not, throw him. Yeah, just VW. BW, excuse me. B, like Brian Winters B. or something. BW. Okay. Uh, and I think that's yeah. just about it. Larry Eloy, we didn't get him in. Uh, do, do, do. Arch yeah. Cooper. Uh, did we get John H? Uh, Jesse Nabs. I think we pretty much have everyone. Michael Capti. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there we are. I, I think got, we've got everyone. I got Justin Fung in. I think I got Justin yep. Fung in there. Justin? And, put him uh, in and Archer, Archer is cool, though. Oh, no, not Archer's cool, though. That oh, Archer's. Not for, uh, am I putting <laughs> in Archer's curled? Oh, someone said Bogdan Kiselevich as an obscure Jets uh, player. And I remember when they picked him up at the trade deadline. I don't think he played. I do remember my friend was trying to rent his condo. And I think Bogdan Kiselevich inquired about it. And he messaged me. He's like, do you know a uh, Bogdan Kiselevich? I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, the Jets' trade. He's like, he's trying to, he's asking me about my condo. <laughs> and I was like, all right, uh, all right, man. All right. Les- Did we get Leslie? Leslie in? Leslie and Kevin Girton, Henry D. And then I think we're ready. I got Kevin. I- Leslie? Leslie, Henry, Kevin. And, Henry and then D. we are ready to go. All right. I- Kevin's in. For, for a famous Nick and Nicky DQ ice cream cake from one of the four Nick and Nicky DQ locations. If you win, you're going to need to uh, hit us up. We can't message through YouTube, so either send us a tweet or an email, and we'll get you set up. Um, Nick has been so nice. And by the way, um, you know, even if you don't win, think about an ice cream cake for the weekend. Maybe you're going to have a little fun outdoors with some neighbors or something. Be the baller of the block with a DQ ice cream cake. All right, Remus, you can uh, you can cue us up and let oh, ready to go. This is how we finish two weeks. I didn't put me or you in. I didn't put me oh, or okay. you in. I totally forgot. Oh, this one sucks. Okay. This this race sucks. Let me get to a different one. Hold on. Okay. Yep. Different. I picked a bad Let's race. Go. It was just like a circle track. I, it was a bad track. Oh, oh my computer might. Comet's racing. Uh, my computer. Comet's ready to go. Yeah, and we're hoping that this works. By, by the way, there is a uh, precursor. We have had some issues. A little slower right now. Got to figure out a way that I can do this on my computer, maybe, and uh, that might be an easier way to do it going forward. But we're going to give oh, it our you, best shot. You can do that and share your screen. Yeah. Okay. Let me take this one. This one's called Taking Flight. This is what this map Taking is called. Flight. All right. Nice little Jets theme as we finish up the, uh, the, the season for the year. We are taking flight into okay. the summer on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I hope you'll continue to join us daily here at one o'clock live on YouTube and on the podcast. All right. We've got everybody in that we mentioned um this is going to be wild all right we are underway for today's 
Winnipeg Sports Talk Week Ending Marble Race. Looks like Rob Mahoney. Or did everyone just fall out? Oh, sorry. Everyone got DQ'd. Oh, no, no, no. There we are. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Keep those up. So the leader right now, it looks like it is Rob Mahoney, although it's tough. We've split them out into both sides. Everyone's following it. Top right has the leaderboard. Excellent. Yeah, top right. People were wondering where their marbles went. (laughs) This is a great one. (laughs) Awesome. What's going on in this one? You are to get all of these. It's sort of like a maze. We have to I'm, see who makes it out first. Oh, it looks like we're getting our first marbles that are coming down. The bullet, the bullet right near the top of it. Tracy's in there as well. And now everyone's meeting in the middle. The entire Winnipeg Sports Talk chat in going down this. So this is take flight. So now I imagine we're going down the runway. And the bullet's still right there at the top is- along with, I believe, Trevor. I'm not sure what happens at the end. Either this is the end or it might go somewhere else. But we've got a very, very Eric. Oh, my God. And the bullet. Huge jump onto the next one. What? They are still there. Candace Jane and Leslie Michnock, Eric H. All in the mix right up at the front. Candace Jane. Candace and Leslie, the ladies are. uh, And there's Tracy Ukraniak, too. Lady's doing quite well. Now she just went see uh this is yeah, somebody went over the top rope. Leslie's still in there. Jesse Nabs. Yeah, Here comes Frosty. Is Frosty still in or Frosty getting thrown over the top rope? Frosty's still in, along no. with John D. This is coming right down. We are down to the Frosty. end. Could it be? I think Frosty is our winner. Woo! Frosty takes it. Look at this. Everyone in just beating out the bullet. Gitch came in at fourth. Roger Quinnell at fifth. Eric H., Mike, John D., and Taylor. Wow, what an epic, epic marble race to finish the week. Uh, Frosty, nice work. Hit us up on uh, on Twitter, at Sports Talk Winnipeg, or hit me or Remus. Um, or if you don't have Twitter, uh, do it on Instagram. If you don't have Instagram, I guess we could do on email, but probably prefer on social a lot easier. And we'll have your contact. We can hook you up with Nick and Nikki. Uh, Frosty, well done. That was a pretty wild race stream. Very close. Very close throughout that was, the entire That was a cool track. No, it's very cool was. track. Yeah, Frosty the Bullet. Let's see. Here. Loved it. There the it results. is. Someone Frosty. asked to be. Here. Someone who's last? who didn't make it. Uh, Tr- Tracy was the only person who got a DNF. She went. Uh, oh, and Tracy was jump. right there at the end. She was right there at the end. I think too. Yeah, I think they, since she got thrown yeah. over the top rope right at the end. Uh, yeah. And so intense. So that Frosty. was a blast. Everyone love it. Quite the mosh pit, Darcy. I think I got DQ'd. Michael Smith, do a full hour of marble races. At some point, we might. You know, like we've got this channel now. I mean, obviously, during this time, we're here to talk sports and do everything. But don't put it past us to do a stream of ridiculousness, screwing around at some point, video games, whatnot. It might be the Winnipeg not sports stream. Right now, we'll stick to Winnipeg sports talk stream, but we will looking forward to it. Um, Remo, we should get out, though, because Kenny and Rennie are going to fire up. I think they're doing another sort of wrap-up show after Maurice and Chevy spoke today. So anyone that's in on YouTube, if you want to fire it out over there, Tracy, fix, fix. Hey, you won. We didn't purposely put you over the top. And yeah, Remo and I weren't in there. 
John D came third. John H came 97th. The ups and downs of the, of the Johns. Um, but anyways, yeah, go check out Kenny and Rennie. Have a great weekend. Um, we do want to thank policyme.com. Don't forget when you're heading to policyme.com, very simple. Uh, go through the questions. They'll give you the information. You won't have to talk to a human being. It's all done online. But make sure you put in, when they asked how you heard about Policy Me, put in podcasts. It's a big, big help to us going forward. Uh, Royal Sports, Nick and Nikki DQ, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug, BreezyBen.com. And, of course, Boston Pizza, Aikens Lake, Assiniboia Downs, and CoolBet.com. I'm going to throw out the CoolBet lines if you want to use that bonus code for getting on the Euro. Go watch a little more of this Italy-Turkey game and get ready to uh, jump on the air with the guys in Calgary on 960 in about an hour. If you want to check that out, we won't be talking a ton of Jet stuff, but... I know the Shifley heel turn is still a big story in other markets, and I know they'll be asking me about that. So 4 p.m. Winnipeg time till 7 if you want to check it out with the guys on Sports at 960. Other than that, though, folks, thank you so much for being with us, especially the people here now. We had massive, massive shows throughout the playoffs with a lot of newcomers, um, but it's great to see so many of our regulars that are with us, supporting us each and every day. We hope to have some news on merch next week, launching an online store so people can, you know, online get things directly to them, as well as working on some things that will probably work through Royal Sports. But the bottom line is we appreciate your support so much. We appreciate the support of the sponsors and we're having so much fun doing this with you. And we are not going anywhere. Monday, we get the vote on the Canadian Football League season. Let's get that done and get ready to get back in and watch the Winnipeg Blue Bombers run it back a year late after winning that great cup in 2019. Thanks to Scott Billick. Huge thanks to Michael Remus, who just did a great job today getting all those clips of Maurice and Chevy ready for us. And, uh, I know Remo will have a good week, a couple days off, and uh, should be a great show on Monday. Brandon Rewicki, Jim Toth, Kevin O, they're all going to join us next week for a little more end-of-season Jets talk, but we'll be hitting the Euro, Bomber, CFL news, hopefully get Naylor on early in the week for the latest on all of that. So uh, we are just getting going, everybody. Have an awesome weekend. Go check out Kenny and Rennie, and have a great one. We'll see you on Monday on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a good one, everyone. Oh, my God. Shut it down! Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.